0: i hoping things will really like take off quite soon. because I do genuinely believe that it's a it's a an actual solution that we hear a lot about uh, treatments and these charities, uh, these charitable approaches to you know, poverty and inequality, etc. But you know was, they're still around. You know, it's like poverty doesn't seem to be getting any better as such. Um, and so yeah, and I feel that's because we don't actually yet have a basic right to exist on our own planet. We don't have a basic right to shelter, energy, food, and water. So we don't have we wake up and we have to pay uh, to be alive and that just doesn't sit very well with me. it doesn't make much sense to me.
1: that was adam hills i am your host michael dunphy and this is the further liberation podcast adam is an architect and the founder of humanity connective which is a new democratic co-housing solution to poverty i was searching in general for institutions and organizations such as this that are taking different approaches to how we can structure our society And then one day, during my search, serendipitously, Adam began following me, and I reached out to him right away. This is the first of two parts. In this one, we spoke mostly about the current state of our world and what we think to be the truth about what's going on. But in part two, Adam and I go much deeper into the actual possible solutions to our current situation. So have a listen, see what you think. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Further Liberation Podcast. Awesome, so Adam, right? Yeah. All right. Well, welcome, sir. Welcome to the Further Liberation Podcast. It's an honor to have you. I've seen your stuff. I've looked at your website. I watched a couple videos. It's very interesting. It basically exactly what I've been looking for. I've even reached out to a couple people um, over the past couple weeks who are uh, a little bit more well known in like the new earth type of community. And I've asked, you know, do you know of any organizations that are trying to do this, trying to make this a reality by designing something or, you know, similar to that of like the Venus project. Are you familiar with them?
0: Yeah. I was looking for
1: more institutions, more organizations like that. So I could speak to someone about it. And it seems like that's the kind of path you're on as well is giving new options to a, a new society essentially. So why don't you tell me about yourself, how you got started in this, you know, what your name, how old you are, anything, any information you feel is pertinent. And uh, yeah, tell me how it all got started and what exactly, how far you've come along and what your vision is and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, my name is Adam. I'm 35. Uh, I come from the East Coast of England, so Norfolk, Um, uh, quite, quite, you know, quaint little town. And then, uh, yeah, I just had interest, early interest in art and physics, and then went to university in Sheffield, did architecture. That seemed like the perfect synthesis for those things. And I enjoyed you know, designing um, just interesting, thought-provoking uh, projects. Um, and then, I mean, it's quite a long game in architecture, so it's seven years. Uh, I called it a day at six uh, because that's really when the creativity stops and it becomes more about business-oriented stuff. <laughs> was like, okay, I need to – it's just like, okay. I'm not surprised, be, honestly. Um, yeah and um but it was only really when i started working when i felt like i'd sort of been stitched up a little bit i've been led down a garden path somehow um mm. because really you're, you're not really being very free with uh, the sort of projects that you're getting when you're actually in a professional environment it's all very much methodical you're just kind of regurgitating your drawings or it's just very much this sort of left brain approach where it's mm. all just there's not much room for the artistic creativity that was experienced experience at uni so, yeah, through all of that, and then through the whole rat race situation, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to six minimum. I mean, unfortunately, in architecture, most of us are staying there sometimes all night, you know, like there's always deadlines. You finish a deadline, you go out and you get drunk, and then there's another deadline. And so eventually you ask yourself the question, like, what am I actually doing? Like, how am I contributing to society? In what way am I even doing that? Um, am I even helping people who even need help, et cetera? So I asking these sorts of questions. And, you know, you just kind of realize that it's this hierarchical system that really there's one millionaire developer behind it who's designing homes. And my personal passion is about, you know, housing because that's effectively what can free us and liberate us and to experience more abundance in the world. So, um, going from that model, I thought, how can we decentralize this approach to housing? So, instead of one person, like being behind these uh, housing projects, how can we actually now utilise social media to democratise the whole housing industry? So instead of one person having a million pounds working for investment, um, how do we actually establish and crowdsource uh, one million pounds from one million people? So that incentive is totally shifted um, and now it's a more humanitarian benevolent approach that we can actually have with housing. So, you know, that was uh, really, it was my frustration, though, um, from having to, to work so kind of uh, arduously for such a long period of time. Uh, I guess it was the most of my 20s. Um, you know, Monday blues, TJ Friday, uh, and then before you know it, it's like the weekend just flashes by before your eyes, and you're just sat at a desk again, and it's just, I guess it's just soul destroying, so I didn't fare too well with that. So I was always looking for ways out, you know, just... But I wanted to try and solve it at the same time, I like not just sort of escape and run away from it and just pitch up a tent in the middle of the countryside, but actually try and uh, do something that's established and is a, a, a possible uh, option or alternative uh, solution to capitalism. So I've got these kind of like background in you know, more radical thinking post-capitalist approach. You mentioned um, Venus Project, Chuck Fresco. So I guess in a, in a way, this Humanity Connected this Charity is about trying to do that in a decentralised way from a, smaller, um, from a smaller scale. So a number of interventions that eventually grow and grow and grow as opposed to one huge master plan, uh, which I think is uh, quite a big um, issue with the uh, Venus Project. But that's something that I need to actually um, look into a lot more in more great detail. But essentially, though, you know, that's my, my background. is pretty much uh, creative industry, um, yeah, marrying the kind of um, – the physics-based approach with with art uh, with art, and just uh, having a blank canvas and that uh, architecture was the inevitable result from that really um and yeah i mean along the way well, I, I guess philosophically and aside from the social stuff i've always been my head has been sort of just somewhere else i've always mm. just been imagining and visualizing things and that led me to this explosive spiritual awakening about five years ago um which totally changed my life. People quite had a mental breakdown. My mum wanted to lock me up and section me. <laughs> so That's quite an interesting experience. And this was really came out at the back of that as well. Um, so prior to that, I mean, even though I was struggling in, in the work and stuff, I still uh, was pretty much okay in the Matrix, you know, like, especially in my sort of, like, teens and early 20s, everything was okay. You know, go to the shops, buy a new jacket, go out that uh, you know, Friday night or whatever, and I was all right. But I suppose over time, um, I just sort of um, began having these bigger thoughts, which led me to uh, discover, trying to discover the truth, if there is one. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, after that moment, it was just a game changer for me. And, and this was really born out of that, this Kate Housing charity. Um, but yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, that's really uh, some of my background. Wow, man.
1: That's quite a story. <laughs> so how, yeah, how long did you say how long you've been doing this Humanity Connective? When did you
0: start that? Um, so really, I mean, like, yeah, so 2000, I think it was about September. I never remember the date when, when everything changed for me, but it was around October 2014. Um, oh, okay. So from the back of that, I slowly started, I had the ideas, and I got very enthusiastic and got very, you know, oh, God, this is all do. But I sort of got hit by this wall of indif- indifference and mm. uh, sort of like <laughs> lack, of, lack of interest yeah. in, in people, the general populace. Um, which I didn't think was going to be quite as as hard as I thought. So I was a bit naive in that way. But I've been sort of plodding along with my eggs. It's really it's just me trying to do this. Um, mm-hmm. There's no real there's no team behind me as yet. Um, but it's been, I say, five years, four or five years, but it really it's been on and off because I've been having to still work and make ends meet by going out and doing some freelance work, whether it's in various different multidisciplinary. Uh, uh, creative in it, like lighting I've been working light on landscape and, and architecture so just to kind of like get by I've been having to do that and dabble in with this and then when I get my free time I've been developing the website and now I'm sort of trying to go um, with the Instagram approach and trying to sort of just raise awareness like mm. uh in the most efficient way as possible it's, it's, it's time consuming so it's been um it's been a while um but i'm hoping things will really like take off quite soon because i do genuinely believe that it's a it's a an actual solution that like, we hear a lot about uh, treatments in these charities uh, these charitable approaches to you know poverty and inequality etc but you know it's, they're still around you know, it's like poverty doesn't seem to be getting any better as yeah. such mm-hmm. um, and so Yeah, and I feel that's because we don't actually yet have a basic right to exist on our own planet. We don't have a basic right to shelter energy, food, and water. So we don't have – we wake up and we have to earn and pay to be alive, and that just doesn't sit very well with me. It doesn't make much sense to me. (laughs) I would agree. uh, things, really. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you've kind of um, been speaking to people on similar lines about um, how we can liberate. Um, ourselves how we can that uh, yeah like i say create a new earth how we can uh, raise human consciousness that's really what it's all about right
2: mhm
1: absolutely so that makes me wonder uh i'm curious if you'd like to share i'd love to hear about that spiritual awakening uh type of experience you had because yeah. i i'm after having a few people on here that have had similar experiences and they're always very interesting stories
0: yeah it's a fascinating um it's just a fascinating thing it's hard to actually communicate but um, yeah i know what you I mean. was, um, I was watching a, a video by a scientist uh, who's, who's come up with this new theory called biocentrism. His name is Robert Lanzas, an American biologist.
2: Book.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. And um, I was – well, I got the book on the back. I saw a presentation from him, and it wasn't really related. He was just saying some metaphysical things, you know, like the basic things like, you know, grass is only green when you look at it. The sky is only blue because of an internal condition. And, like, you know, the sky could be red. You could do some genetic engineering. And, like, and I, I just, like, instantaneously – like it just all popped for me. That was my trigger. That was my mm. moment. Um, so I was just lying on my bed and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I got, I just was just totally thrown by it. Um I didn't quite go to full-on Neo mode in the Matrix where he vomits everything. <laughs> but I ran up ran and round, like trying to tell my housemates and they they just thought I was like just totally nuts. Um, <laughs> but, um, I suppose like um, as a there's an analogy that I like to use for it is, It's kind of like a, a balloon. Like you draw a face on a balloon. It's like this little balloon going about its business. And then one day, you know, it thinks it's the contents of the balloon and you just pop it yeah. <laughs> and it's gone. And it's yeah. like your whole sense of self has just been evaporated. Right. Um, it was like that and it was it was blissful to begin with. And mm-hmm. I suppose it's a whole assimilation process. Another, another analogy could be that of uh, like a dam, if you imagine like the Hoover Dam and you're on a boat on the, on the lower level of the waters and it just cracks and just breaks open, and all these high waters come in, and you're trying to assimilate, you're trying to process what's happening, but you just have no idea. I mean, I, I didn't know what it was, was when it you know, first happened to me. So, this whole process that takes a certain amount of time to adjust to this high consciousness, I guess, parts of your brain are actually being activated in the neocortex or so the prefrontal lobes or however, whatever term you want to use. You're basically awakening to this uh, this higher reality and um yeah there's a there's a certain time that's involved uh to actually really be like, re with society because like the only thing i could talk about for about uh, a good part of a year was all of this crazy stuff so <laughs> people obviously just thought oh god stay away from him he's just talking way too much where he's just oh, he's so passionate about it. i don't know really what he's talking about was talking about god you've seen the light <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so yeah um, it was really um uh, a, a very light light bulb instantaneous thing for me. Like I think some people go through more of a gradual transition. Yeah. Some people it's like boom there you go. I was
1: going to ask that like the way you described it like uh, you had like there was no there was no gradualness to it. It was just like for me um, it was it was gradual in the sense that I had been learning a lot about new subjects in general and uh, basically I just kind of realized that there's nothing I can't learn. I always kind of felt like there were certain things that were beyond my understanding. Like, you know, I'll never be Einstein. I'll never be, I'll never understand, uh, physics the way Richard Feynman does. Like that was kind of my mentality. But then I, I, whatever it was that started giving me that confidence, I just decided to try. And I started reading books that I thought were beyond what I could understand. And then I was like, man, I really get what energy is now. I really get what, how the universe works. I read, uh, Brief history of time by Stephen Hawking, and it really okay. just changed. Like it really just opened my mind to how exactly the function of reality is. And then months later, after like understanding myself a little better, understanding my own emotions a little better, and realizing that uh, all of my suffering essentially was coming from my attachment, my from what I want. From if as long as I didn't want anything, I was okay. But if yeah. I was in a constant state of wanting, then I was never at ease. And then there. Yeah. And so it was kind of building up those ideas over the course of months, and if you really look at it, it was happening my whole life. But <laughs> and then there was yeah. just this moment in 2013 where I was just uh, I was just struck with a new idea: the fact that like everybody is a product of their circumstances. That's really what did it for me. Mm. I remember, um, um, just coming to that idea that everybody. Is exactly the way they were because of how they're being interacted with this reality. So the whole idea of mm-hmm. bad people and good people, and some people are born this way and some people are born that way, that just flew out the window. So yeah. I, I lost all, uh, I lost all negative views on myself. Right. Everything that I've seen about myself that I thought were negative and different and bad and made me alienated, I was like, well, these are all my imagination, and then it just flew out the window, and I was just like. Well, I don't have any negative views about myself anymore, so I'm only left with positive ones that are like a reflection of who I am. And like you said, it's just that that hit of like just bliss. You're just
0: like, oh, my God, I'm free now. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so, so was that quite a gradual thing then, like uh, you coming to that awareness of like liberating yourself basically from your own suffering by realizing that it's just these repetitive thoughts that you keep having that are, that are keeping you down? Mm-hmm. Uh, was that kind of a gradual thing as well, or was that uh, very quick? sure. That
1: I guess that was a little bit more sudden. Well, not necessarily, I suppose, because uh, for months I was just trying to figure out what it is that was really bothering me because I noticed that there was many things about my my state of mind that just weren't stable and it was constantly. I was like honestly, I think if I went to a doctor at that point I would have been labeled schizophrenic because my mind was always arguing with itself. Like if I describe to a doctor, you know, I'm just constantly arguing with myself. There's this voice that's telling me off for everything I do and everything. Like it was basically like I started to realize that a lot of things I did were fake. Like a lot of it was just like a, a practice pattern that I developed over years to either impress people or make myself feel worthy or whatever. So then... I started, well, a big part of it was that I, I quit drinking and then my mind started to get healthier. <laughs> so then every day it was like, there's this voice in the back of my head and be like, you only said that to your friend because you want him to think you're cool. And I was like, stop judging me. <laughs> you know, let me do what I'm doing. But I, then yeah. I just let that voice take over. Like the one that was telling the truth about who I was. I started listening to it a lot more. So right. then I was like, all right, so what do you have to say, really? Like, what's going on here? What do you want to tell me about what's so bad about me? And then yeah. the more I listened to it, the more it made sense. And then I started to realize, you know, that, that there's there's something going on here. And then there was a moment where I was on a, uh, on a road trip with my then-girlfriend, and we were in the car on the way back to the city we lived in. And uh, I just remember getting a text from my friend who was somewhat of a new friend to me. Well, I've known him for years, but we only started hanging out a little bit more than, but he was always someone that I really respected and admired. And I wanted him yeah. to be my friend. Like I associate, I thought of myself as cool because he was my friend. Right. So when he texted me and said, Hey man, when you get back to the city, let's hang out. I was like overjoyed. And then I just realized like that voice came in. It was like, why do you care so much about what he thinks yeah. of you? Why do you yeah. assign so much value to yourself because of how he sees you? And I was like, Dear yeah. God, you're right. <laughs> and yeah. then I was like, well, what is lacking in me that I need that? And then it was like, not even this question answer type of thing. It was like all of this information happened in an instant. And immediately I was just like, well, I don't need any of that. I'm perfectly fine the yeah. way I am. I know that I am ha- everything I need to be and I can be any- anything I want. So yeah. then I was just like sitting in the car around my girlfriend and her family and I was just, like, holding back this whole, ooh, buddy, I'm free now. <laughs> like, I was, like, in my mind, i be like, this is amazing. But I didn't speak yeah. up because, like, that was one of the reasons why I ended up ending that relationship is because my girlfriend and I never spoke about deep things like that. I would want to watch yeah. Star Trek and yeah, she'd yeah. want to watch like Keeping Up with the Kardashians or
2: something
1: <laughs> like that. I'd want to want to talk about space and time and she'd want to talk about purses and hair. I'm like, why did I get into this? And I realized yeah. I got it because I was superficial. And then I was like, okay, well I got to end that. So
0: yeah, so that's. That was- one.
2: All these That's one
0: things. big shift that, that happens, unfortunately, isn't it? Like, you have to sort of like, it's almost like a purging of, of mm. the people that you were once very close with. There's a certain yeah. removal of those people, and, and new people come in because mm-hmm. it's Absolutely. like allowing that to happen.
1: Yeah. And luckily for me, um, although when it first happened to me, I thought I would be seen as crazy. I was like, if I tell anybody this, I'm going to end up in the loony bin, to quote my father. Yeah. And, uh, but luckily, No one, you know, nothing really came of it. Like some of my friends were like, uh, resistant to it. And because basically what it was is that I realized my ego so prominently that I felt it was my right to expose everyone else's. (laughs) So somebody would be talking to me. Like I had many friends who would always come to me for advice. So a friend of mine who often came to me for advice, um, also basically just wanted the support and, you know, the whole, everything's going to be okay type of thing, which, you know, has yeah. its time and place. But at that time I was just so, um, I was so comfortable letting go of my own things that I was, when this friend said, you know, I need to know, why do I feel this way? I'm like, that's just your ego. You believe that you're separate and you think that you are, um, bad because of this. And I was basically just tearing down their whole personality. And so
2: obviously
1: <laughs> people were not ready for that and yeah. didn't like my advice anymore. So I kind of put some distance between some of my friends, but none of them yeah. really like, there was no hatred. There was no disdain. It was just, it was pretty healthy. And then over the years, they honestly, most of them ended up kind of coming back into my life anyways, because they did their own work, for, discovered a lot of, about themselves
0: as well. And then we were yeah. fit for each other. So is your approach to sort of like offering your wisdom or support in some ways changed from when that first happened? Have you kind of eased, eased oh, yeah. that energy that you've had? <laughs> That's, That's been, like, my, pra-
1: yeah, That's been my practice for the past seven years, man, just trying to <laughs> say what I yeah. know in a way that actually inhibits or what is it inhibit? No, induces change. Like I'm right. you know, I don't want to shake people awake and slap them and be like, get the hell up. We got work to do, you know, because, some yeah. people will be like, no, leave me alone. I want to go back to bed. I want to, that hurts when you slap me. <laughs> you know." Yeah. Like, So my, my whole ethos is a balance between truth and love. Like that's the way I see everything. I understand that you can't have love without truth and you can't have truth without love. Like it's just, they go hand in hand when you have the full picture of both. Yeah. So now like oh, there's some times where I'm speaking to people and they require that more of a, like a tough love kind of truth. Uh, approach where they I just need to be like listen man you're not doing your best don't you see that and but yeah. then there's other times where they they don't even need words they just need me to be there in presence with them and understand that you know um, I let them speak and let them get out what they feel is true and then I might just ask questions to guide them in a certain direction but I'm not gonna just the thing I've found about myself is that I've heard all of the things I know, Now I've been hearing these things all my life, but I would, I wouldn't land. It wouldn't, I wouldn't hear it. Like you see it on like a poster in your school to motivate you being like, you can be everything you want if you just put your mind to it. And you just think that's trash when you're a kid. But then when I was older, I understood the mechanism of the fact that you can alter your own being just by your thought pattern. So I was like, Oh, it makes
0: sense now. Yeah. yeah. That's something that Western education seems to have left out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's very much just like, here you go. Get in the classroom, mm-hmm. learn some uh, some bits and bobs that have no correlation to one another, and then yeah. uh, go and work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, make do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I, I often get off on uh, talking about Western education. As it's one of my rants.
1: Yeah. Well, this <laughs> is the place to rant, room. my man. This is the place to rant. <laughs> this is what we do here.
0: Yeah, yeah, it needs to be. It needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your take on that? On current affairs, and like, where do you? How 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 much do you veer into the conspiratorial nature of, uh, of what's happening, or do you uh, try to sort of just know about it but just keep it at bay? And just keep it. There's no point in me focusing on it. It's just, you know, I'm aware of what's happening. I just can't really be bothered to. Mm-hmm. You don't bother giving it like much attention, basically.
1: I'd say there's a good balance of both there. I don't put a lot of time and attention into it. When it when the lockdown first happened, I was. Uh, well, when it first happened, I was like, ah, this, uh, you know, this is nothing. This will, you know, this will blow over just like every other virus we've ever had kind of thing. But, uh, no. then, you know, things pop up on my feed that sparked my interest. I've always, uh, ever since like 2007, really, um, I've been really open to the idea of alternative theories and they really interested me so i dove deep into a lot of them so a lot of them make sense to me um mm-hmm. there's some that are a little bit beyond uh not necessarily beyond my understanding but just when i really consider them they just still don't make sense to me um but no. for one when this happened i automatically suspected there's some plan behind it like that's just my my natural inclination because of everything I've learned about the institutions that govern us over the past 10 years. It's there's always some agenda. It's never just like, Oh my God, this happened to us. You know, they, somebody is, even if it was a mistake for this virus to get out, there's somebody who is taking this and using it to their advantage. Like that was my mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I still believe that on some level and I still basically how I determine it, how I discern what's, right and true is that like the people who are telling me that this is all a plan and that um this is all part of moving into some new world one system where uh, there's no uh there's no there's no fiat currency there's you know everything that is just going to implement more control those people I don't know if everything they say is true. I don't fact check everything they say. I'm not too Mm -hmm. concerned about, honestly, what is the absolute truth when it comes to details. But those people that say that are often also spreading the message that I know of, and that is that we are all eternal electromagnetic beings that operate in this field temporarily, and we have the power to create absolutely anything we want. And the reason why there's this plan is to keep us from realizing that. I was like, well, that's true that i know so like just to give you an example like i've watched um i'm sure you're probably familiar with him too i've watched the last uh three interviews on london real with david ike and i don't know if everything he says is accurate again i haven't looked into it but the fact that he ends every podcast with you know we have the power to overcome we have the power to take care of everybody on this earth that's a truth that I know of. So he's spouting that truth and he's trying to empower people. So it makes me more inclined to believe him. And just yeah. my general discernment of when people are lying, I don't sense much from him. He may be wrong. His research may be flawed, but I still, I find that he, his intention is true. And I found I've gotten really good with that in general. Um, back in 2013, when I had this awakening experience, I was also watching a lot of the show, Lie to Me. Have you ever watched that?
0: No, actually, I've
1: had I that one. Definitely recommend that. It Used to be on Netflix. I don't think it is anymore, but it was a. It's based on a uh, a doctor um, who was basically like a lying expert. His name is Doctor Paul Ekman, and he had his own business. I I think in the early two thousands, perhaps, and maybe late nineties, and he used to work for. Um, well, you're, you're frozen. Your image is frozen. Can you still hear me?
0: Yeah, you cut off a minute ago. Um, I think okay. it's frozen, and I can still hear you. There. Oh no, you're back. Okay, great.
1: Yeah. So this uh, Paul Ekman character, what he did, he he used to f- do a lot of freelance work for, like, uh, um, you know, the FBI, the CIA. They would hire him to find out if people were lying. And I learned a lot from that show in general. And then I read his book as well, and it talks about how to detect when someone's lying, all the little tells they give. So you know, when I watch people like David Ike, I don't sense any of that deceit. I just sense passion. Yes. He may be misinformed, right. like I said, but again, I don't think he's trying to fool me. But then when I yeah. watch someone like Bill Gates, I'm like, this dude is lying through his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe my bias influencing me. I don't know for sure, but you know, yeah. when I look in the whole grand scheme of things, to me it seems. That, yes, there definitely is a plan to keep us numb, to keep us dumb, to keep us not asking questions so we can perpetuate this system that doesn't serve everyone. So those at the top can maintain their lavish lifestyle and keep their addictions going till the day they die. That's the way I see it. I'm curious how you feel about it as well.
0: Yeah, it's... um in terms of the, yeah, I've see, also seen the David Icke interviews, and uh, he's, he's someone that I sort of followed for a couple of years now, I guess since since I had my awakening. Um, and because he had such an explosive awakening in himself, like you can see that it gives him a, a different perspective or a higher vantage point. And so like you say, like it doesn't necessarily like mean that you kind of like believe everything that he's saying, uh, but you just kind of understand that he's coming at a, a different angle. And when you start going, uh, veering off and corroborates with other information and stuff. is the, the jigsaw puzzle starts to like be yeah. synthesised, starts to like build up more of a uh, kind of base of knowledge, um, which gives it validity. But um, I've been one, that, yeah. So I've I started researching and looking into it. Uh, can you still hear me, by the way?
1: Yeah, your little your video yeah. is choppy, but uh your audio is fine.
0: Your video is frozen, like, but it's okay. Um, oh, all right, should be. Um, but. um yeah, this one of these things that I sort of started. Soon as this started happening, I realised, okay, this this isn't going to be. Um, this isn't just totally natural. Like, um, you know, somehow this has been controlled, manipulated. Um, the Hegelian dialectic, as David Icke talks about, the problem, reaction, solution. Um, so much to be gained, like he mentions, from from this uh, pandemic hoax, which I, I subscribe to that notion that is a hoax, and I don't actually even believe that there is, even though I know that they've they've actually produced or uh, checking out some of the nature. Journals, etc. They've they've actually manufactured a virus, but I don't believe they've actually released it. I believe they've scammed the release of it, and they're going to use the fact that it's been manufactured as a scapegoat to basically p- perhaps start a cold war in China or something like this, so they can blame it on them. When when people believe that the fat narrative is just ridiculous, um, they're going to sort of say, "Oh, it was made. It was definitely made." Mm. But I don't believe that they actually released it, and and even if they did, I don't think there's been really in in history, a viral pandemic of this nature. And I don't know if you're familiar with Andrew Kaufman. I think David Icke might have mentioned him. Yes. um, The the scientist, yeah. I've watched some of his videos, and he goes through, you know, like the Coke postulates, and he goes through the process and the the RT-PCR test and how Mm -hmm. this is totally, the whole uh, whole way of diagnosing uh, COVID-19 is fundamentally flawed. And Mm -hmm. with that test, there's no scientific evidence that there even is a virus, you know, Mm -hmm. a deadly virus, so to speak um so i'm sort of um yeah I, I would side um go as far as to say that there isn't even one that's been released it's all been right. a numerical manipulation they've used these tests to redesignate um cases and deaths etc and they've done the same scam in every country and they've yeah. used fear porn uh, on mm. the on a global scale uh, with this guy uh was it, professor neil ferguson who's released all these figures um based out of thin air just on pseudoscience and uh, these models he's he's been using this sort of epidemiological uh, data sets throughout uh, yeah, the last 10 years as well with other things about with SARS, covid one and with uh, foot and mouth. It was always this team of, of epidemiologists. Um, think of the Royal Co- College London or Imperial Co- College London. And, um, and then you look at some of their connections and it comes back to the sort of Freemasonic um, circuit. And you're just kind of like, why? If someone's just been categorically wrong time after time after time, why on earth would you? continue uh using this 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 database um so yeah i mean i think the whole thing as soon as you begin questioning this the narrative is the moment it begins to fall apart because it simply doesn't stand up and i think that's why they've actually started censoring um people who are speaking up and and not just like um kook conspiracy theorists um actually like site like you know respectful scientists and Mm. uh, medics doctors these people are being silenced uh routinely um yeah and Anyone that speaks out in, over here in Britain, anyone that uh, sort of talks about 5G in, in connection with COVID-19 is uh, is sanctioned and effectively silenced in that way. You'll know as well, like um, the Brian Rose guy behind London Field, he's, he's had his platform uh, removed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, It just seems like there's, there's way too much. But unfortunately, most people are still in this sort of consensus trance where they just don't question. They, they, just, they can't possibly believe that authority is lying to them. Yeah. So they don't even begin to go down that path. And if you do go down that path, you're immediately attacked. Uh, yeah, and so I've had this experience, like even on my Instagram post, I was like in a situation where because I don't really particularly like confrontation and these like fierce oppositional debates. I don't particularly fare too so well with that. Mm. But I felt like based on I feel like I know that this is this is scams and hoax. I I have some sort of responsibility to share this information. Mm. But I really didn't want to engage in in the kind of like uh, hatred and, and hate mail that I was going to get back so I just decided to stop you know reading comments and things like that and just putting yeah. the information out there just to see you know just simply just give people the option to read it and they can make of it what they will as opposed to sort of telling people you know this 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 and that just here's the information that's all I can really do um so yeah I mean it's just I never thought we'd see something quite of this scale um in our lifetimes, (laughs) but I -hmm. guess it's like the end game as they call it. But yeah, I also uh, prefer to focus on the solution because uh, really, if they're trying to establish a world government or uh, the new world order, then true freedom will immunize us from that. So if we have, Mm -hmm. you know, like with the the co-housing projects I'm trying to um, create, if we have these basic physiological needs fulfilled from the comfort of our own homes and we have, you know, basically a free access to shelter, energy, food and water, then what they're doing becomes um, less of a less of an issue because we're not as dependent on them for survival anymore. We're not financially dependent um, you know, on a number on a screen. Like that would be something that we would choose to participate in. And we'll still, of course, work. We'll still want to participate in that paradigm. But the difference would be that we don't actually have to for survival. So I think that that was the kind of important uh, switch that I was trying to create and uh, hope to kind of like, um, get moving at some point soon but um yeah it's just absolutely crazy times and then like all this other stuff now kicking off with the black lives matter and you can't help but feel well is there some sort of agenda involved with this as well it's uh, oh, all these nice. things coming together very quickly and that uh, it's just um i suppose you can just sort of take each day as it comes and uh, and just try and uh stay positive How have you mm-hmm. been uh, faring like with uh with the whole thing like psychologically have you, have you been like hit quite hard by this like or You just sort of been trying to keep it keep it easy.
1: Honestly, uh, psychologically, it hasn't really affected me because Mm -hmm. obviously there's a lot of injustice going on right now. But my I've always been aware that there's messed up things going on all around the world all the time. Um, Yeah. So I think what's happening is necessary in many ways. uh, But like you said, there's probably still somebody um, that is trying to benefit from this agenda. Um, I've heard theories that there are certain billionaires that fund black lives matter and mm. for the reason of creating that civil unrest. So we could, they could justify yeah. uh, martial law and other things like that. Yeah. So, and I've also heard people say that the whole thing was planned and that, um, uh, well, I don't know. I haven't looked deeply into this one, but this is just a, a theory that I seen pop up on my feed one day that, uh, mm. uh, George Floyd was even, part of it in some way. That's an interesting one. I'd like to know more about that. But even so, um, yeah, the whole thing, uh, of course, is necessary that people understand that there's an injustice going on and that there are the part of the institution is that we are treating certain people better than others. And so certain people have more advantages than others. But it also seems that they are really trying to push uh, that whole narrative like obviously it clearly exists anyways but they're trying to really make it known yeah. so they can cause that divide between us um i think their intention is to cause some sort of unrest between uh different races but as i've seen many times now it's, it's not necessarily uh, mm-hmm. like between blacks and whites it's more uh, one person described it as it's between uh Racists and non-racists, essentially, <laughs> and then there's and then there's also the idea that it's between uh, classes. It's more so about the ultra rich mm-hmm. against everyone else. But they're trying to steer us away from that idea that it's not that we have whites to blame. It's that we have rich whites and probably rich blacks and rich Asians and rich Jews and all kinds of different people that are yeah. the multi billionaires that are controlling this world. Those are the people that we should be shining a light on more than anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of this is to steer us away from that. And where it's such a touchy subject, uh, where it's such a hot button, you know, if you don't support the movement, then you are, like you said, you are yeah. absolutely torn apart. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of it as well, because um, basically there's points now where I feel as if people were to go out and protest for other reasons, mm-hmm. then the Black Lives oh, yeah. Matter movement might be like, you don't get the protest now. This is not your issue now. We need to focus on this. This is what matters the most right now. So I feel like we should be protesting all over the world for a thousand different issues, but by making it about race and making it such a hot button issue, if you start to protest about anything else but race, then you're going to be seen as racist. So I think that's part of their plan as well to keep us from actually rising up for different reasons. But yeah, psychologically, it doesn't really affect me because like I said, before COVID, before before the riots, whatever, before all that, at any given moment, you can know that there's slavery going on in the world. You could know that there's concentration camps. You could know that there's sex trafficking and uh, child trafficking that was always going on anyways. Yeah. So the whole idea that there's uh, this race imbalance in the world, it doesn't really shake me to my core because I've always known that. And I've always yeah. known that there's things that are just as bad or worse in many ways. So uh, yeah, it's now to me, honestly, this is an exciting time to me because all this is coming to the light. It's not like yeah. the world like I've seen someone say it's not the world is getting worse. it's where the the veil is being lifted and we're seeing how bad it's always been.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm glad
1: that people are uh, waking up and seeing how terrible it is. I'm glad that people are in the streets and uh, fighting for change because it's necessary. And you know, yeah. like the powers that be are trying to steer it in a certain way and they're doing their best. But as you said, You know, they're, they're, they can't win, you know, the, the love and the, and the truth is, is far more powerful than the fear. So uh, I think it's inevitable that, you know, during this transition, there's going to be uh, some turmoil and things are going to look like they're the craziest they've ever been. But uh, sometimes that's necessary for us to make the biggest change, you know, in order for Mm -hmm. us to realize we need to change, we need to see something absolutely horrid. People yeah. need to be shaken awake in that sense. You know, they need to understand that, you know, you're not going to want to change the world until you find out that the people who are controlling it or, you know, running a child sex ring. Then you'll start to be like, okay, well, maybe I don't want these people in power anymore. But if yeah. they just lie every now and then and maybe try to get <laughs> that, some votes, if you think they're corrupt in the small ways that they use money to support their campaign and that yeah. they'll lie on stage and make promises, then you'll just pass it off is that's just how politicians are. And you'll think yeah. that's just part of the system and there's nothing you can do to change that. And that's human nature. But when you find yeah. out that the people in power are literally trafficking children, again, I don't know if this is accurate, but this is one of the main conspiracy theories, yeah. um, which seems accurate to me, honestly, with the, the research I've done. And I mean, uh, when you find that out, then you're disgusted. And when you're shaken to the core like that, and you're so, so disgusted, you're ready to be like, okay, Things got to change now. So I'm, I'm glad this is all coming out.
0: Honestly, Yeah, it needs to come out, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fascinating, yeah, living through this time because I think, and it's actually Ike who's mentioned this as well, like, you know, people are waking up. but At the same time, people are going further into the coma. And, yeah. and most of my friends around me are, unfortunately, going further into the coma. Uh, um, yeah. so, um, they, they just simply, like, and so I might demonstrate this sort of information and just, like, um, just test the water with them and just, you know, say this, this, and that. And it just comes to the point where they just simply don't want it to be real. Mm. So it's not like they, they rationally, they can understand like the whole thing, but they just simply metaphysically. It's like something going on where it's like their souls has decided that they don't want to awaken to this at this point. So they will just live out their soul path to mm. you know, perhaps a point further down the line where maybe eventually they'll awaken to this or perhaps they never will. Mm. Um, so it's just fascinating to see how much uh, in denial and cognitive dissonance is really like, but it's a difficult thing to wake it up to. It's like, the establishment is a pedophile ring. Hang on a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. It's, just, like, uh, it's, just, it's hard things to calibrate. It really is.
1: <laughs> like, it's totally understandable why people are in denial about this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it makes total sense, man. Because when you first hear about this, it blows your friggin' mind. Like the only reason why I was, basically acclimatized to those types of ideas is because when i was really young i was disillusioned by all power i was disillusioned by everybody i looked up to even from when i was a little kid you know i would look up to like rock stars and be like oh in their lyrics they speak so much truth and then i would find out they're a drug addict and i'm like oh i'm disappointed in them. and then i would look up to i don't know some sort of when I was like a teenager, I was more getting more into science and I would look up to certain scientists and then I realized that they're just spouting certain things because they're paid by a certain, uh, company. Yeah. So yeah. everybody I looked to for answers ended up disappointing me in some way. And I realized that they're never fully truthful. So yeah, when I like, I think one of the first things that really opened my mind was the Zeitgeist film that came out in 2007. My friend sent that to me. And I was just like, Oh my God, everything I suspected is true. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, then I'm a friend that. of mine uh, actually, I started talking about it all the time because I was, just, you know, I was preaching the good word. After that, I was like, "Oh my God, religion!" I've always suspected religion was nonsense, but I didn't know why. But apparently, it's all based on the sun and the zodiac, and and it's a pagan thing. It's not even a Christian thing. It's all plagiarism, blah blah blah. And then nine yeah. eleven was planned, and all blah blah blah. And I was like, "It makes so much sense now. Everything makes so much sense." But then a friend of mine was like, "Yeah, okay, I get it. That you're you're questioning all these things now, but." are you questioning the people that are saying this? And I was like, I'm not, that's a damn good point. So then I went to the Zeitgeist website and I looked at all their references and I bought one of the books uh, by a guy named Michael Rupert. And it was called crossing the Rubicon. And it was about uh, a lot of it was about nine 11, but all of it, a lot of it was about like how the CEIA sold drugs in the eighties to basically um, ruin the black community. And for other reasons and uh, how Hillary Clinton and other types of big names were involved with Halliburton when it comes to importing heroin into the country and stuff like that. And I was just like, this is nuts. And the way he presented it, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Rupert, but his book, he presented it as a court case. He's like, this is my case. He's like, this is the evidence and this is why it implies this. He was basically being like a lawyer in his presentation in his book. Right. And he also... Uh, made an offer he's like if anybody can disprove one sentence in this book i will give them a thousand dollars and as far as i know he's he's never had to pay anyone and then he committed suicide about five or ten years ago so (laughs) after saying that he never ever would even though he talked about how uh how depressed and everything he was because of like the attack he was undergoing like they tried to take his life several times and, but then I think he had a little bit of an awakening himself. I remember seeing him on a podcast years ago and he talked about how he found this new energy and he was talking about how he started feeling more one with nature and everything he's doing is part of his purpose. So at that point, I really don't think he would have taken his own life. And yeah, uh, yeah but it's a man.
0: common theme that they, they have on people, like just people who yeah. just randomly decide to kill themselves. Exactly JFK right. included. Is, is there a way of me restarting, um, your video so that I can get your video back. I'll we'll just leave it for now then. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully um, all of this craziness will, uh, well, I mean, I, I fear that it might not end so soon. Like, I mean, Bill Gates has called this pandemic one.
1: <laughs> yeah, so exactly.
0: Quite ominous.
1: Um, well, it seems to me that uh, the way it's going now is that they're allowing us to open up a lot more and connect a lot more. So then in August or September, they can justify... Uh, yeah. Saying that there's another outbreak and be like, oh yeah. well, we opened up too early, people, and then they're yeah. like, well, now we got to shut down for two years, and <laughs> and then yeah, you know it's, who it's, knows what kinds of in. implementations will happen then.
0: Yeah, I think they're just um, they're just re, yeah they're just cashing in on the on the flu. It's just like flu pneumonia, basically anything. Um, mm. As soon as that starts spiking again, you can with the test, you can just redesignate. I mean, it's like if they can just pull this off that easily. Uh, right. So I guess that's why I felt inspired to sort of start sharing because it just becomes so obvious. Like yeah. the more you put the pieces together, but you know, people like you know, my family unfortunately would would think that I am again mentally ill if I came up and said COVID nineteen doesn't exist.
1: Mm. <laughs> just I'm curious. Like, went, I'd actually like hey. to ask you about that because um, that's that's what uh, you know. Not everybody says that. Even the people that are even the people that are saying that it's being planned and all that, they still say there is a virus. But David like yeah. being one of the people that says there isn't one. And yeah. I'm curious because I heard, I, I watched um, Andrew Kaufman's talk on the whole thing, talking about the Koch postulates. And he spoke about the PCR test and actually how it can be uh, triggered uh, by pretty much anything as long as you amplify. Uh, the sample size enough, then you can get uh, a positive from almost any genetic material in your body. And also there's the whole exosome theory about how exosomes are secreted when your cells are hit with any toxicity. So you could be stressed out and your body releases exosomes. And then exosomes are so similar to viruses in their chemical makeup that they will trigger the test as well. But what really makes me wonder is that... So... One of the things Andrew
0: so, says, and you can hear me, but you I can calf, hear you. unfortunately. Oh, um, well, so less thing you heard. The video's come up, back on, but now the sound has got. <laughs> it's just really Ray. annoying. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Ah, <laughs> oh, it sucks. So, do you reckon that's not recording now? Then?
1: It's still recording. Yeah. Oh. It, it, and it was still recording after you left. The whole meeting is recorded, so it doesn't even have oh, to have yeah. you there. I just didn't want to stop the recording because the recording. Uh, like I said, if I stop the recording, it might start storing it, and then uh, right,
0: and then so I you, can, you can edit. you can just edit this, right? Anyway. Yes,
1: exactly. I'll just take this part out. Oh, yeah, but you're that's much clearer uh, now as well. So you're on
0: Wi-Fi. Uh, now. So I well I tried the Wi-Fi, but that didn't work either. So I just plugged the Ethernet cable back in. I guess it's just being temperamental, but that's, that sucks because I purposely got that so that I could uh, try and speed <laughs> it up. But, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you dropped out when you were curious about the covid-19 not existing that's yeah. what i'm about. so yeah
1: i remember hearing that from a couple of people saying that it's just flat out doesn't exist um, but then i spoke to a friend of mine who studies biology and i just wanted to get her opinion on it and i sent her yeah. so, i sent her this short video uh, describing the difference between viral theory and exosome theory and you know it basically explained how this seems more like exosomes than it does a virus and we started talking about it and she's like, it could very well be, but, and one thing that, uh, Andrew Kaufman said in his video was that it's never been purified. So, and so to me, I'm not sure what they mean by that. I don't know if there's a difference between being purified and being isolated. So I was curious, mm-hmm. like if it has actually ever been isolated, because in order to, in order to really understand the virus itself, you need to isolate it so you can look at it as a singular thing and then study it. But yeah, so I don't know if purified means isolated, but he said it's never been purified. So we don't even know if the virus exists. But then my friend who I spoke to, she said that there's an actual genetic sequence for it. They like, they sequence the DNA. So I'm like, well, if it's never been purified, if it's never been isolated, then how did they get that sequence for DNA? So I'm curious if yeah. you've ever heard that and if you've looked into it yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that SARS-CoV-1 or SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 exist. I think they've been manufactured and there's, there's lots of uh, documentation about how they performed gain of function uh, studies in mm. that University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, where Xi Zhengli, which is the Chinese batwoman, she was involved in that team. Um, okay. And they've, they've created SARS-CoV-2 using uh, all sorts of splicing different... They used like a backbone of SARS-CoV-1, the original one from 2003. They spliced up with a new coronavirus, uh, SHC014, I think is is the name for it. And then she has then gone over to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and she's basically uh, facilitated or, or employed what she learned in that university. And she's been funded again from the US government. So the US government has actually funded the Chinese... Uh, Institute of Virology. Mm. So, like, just how Ike's saying, it's like, forget about this idea of these different countries. Um, It's it's a global cult. Like, they don't see these borders. They don't care about these borders. They Mm. want that Chinese model is effectively the blueprint. So, they funded that and they've created that. But as I touched on earlier, I think they've done that to basically cement a scapegoat, which is to say, China has created this. Uh, We have proof. And Donald Trump has already said, we have proof that China has created. Uh, this virus but of course we have to differentiate between SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 because COVID-19 is the infectious disease that's supposedly uh, caused by the virus SARS-CoV-2 so that one exists but as you're saying about the um, COVID-19 it hasn't um, fulfilled the Koch postulates the four postulates where it's like yeah I think he's basically saying the same thing at isolating or purifying that process hasn't been completed ever for a virus and I think that's because our whole understanding and conception of viruses is flawed. And I think they've been using this for a long time. So when we have these viruses come out and these outbreaks, they've been sort of sowing the seeds that humans are diseased. You need to stay away from humans because it supports this narrative of the lockdowns. And they've been trying to get this in the, into the collective psyche for a long time. But um, one thing that Rudolf Steiner, the I think he was Austrian philosopher, but he was asked about what a virus is, um, after the Spanish flu in 1916 and 1918, where they first started radio waves, and uh, there's a whole history. I think you might you probably heard of that, David Icke mentioning that as well. Every time there is a, a viral outbreak, there is also this technology release. So in 1916, we had the radio waves. We had um, we had Spanish flu. In 2003, we had uh, SARS outbreak, and we also had um, 3G technology mm. and then in 2009 we had swine flu we had 4G technology and now today in 2020 we have 5G and we have this going on wow. so it seems like well that's a very strange correlation that's going on there and I think they again they're using they're trying to skirt responsibility from what's happening they don't want their technology to be culpable for the effects that it that it has like if you right. increase the vibratory fields that we're all surrounded by and he's of course talking about the fact that we are electromagnetic organisms so if you change the frequency of our environment and you increase it and amplify it or throw it out of balance in some way then understandably there would be some sort of adverse radiation or some sort of adverse biological effect that we'd have mm. so what Rudolf Steiner was saying just simply in, in one statement he says a virus is simply the excretion of a toxic cell mm. so as opposed to it being this 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 pathogen that's floating around outside. and and attacking human beings. They've sort of almost tried to personify these viruses like they do for, um, you know, like um, bacterial uh, infections and um, fungi and parasitic infections. These things can actually live autonomously and independently of organisms. They're effectively um, alive, whereas viruses aren't. They they need a host to survive. So really what it alludes to is like how, to what extent can a virus pass from host to host and that's one thing that Andrew Kaufman's um, you know, trying to uh, confirm because he's saying it's never been proven that a virus can, can effectively um, is communicable as they call it or transmissible um, that there's more at play here and it's not so I think there's, there's always a balance at play I think to a certain extent let's just take the common cold for example um, if you are at work and you're sitting opposite someone who's sneezing all day um, the chances are, if, if there's two kind of variables involved, so really, it really it's like the statement that the virus itself is not objective. Like the infectiousness of something isn't objective, so you can't just say there is a new deadly virus, and if you get it, it's going to have these effects because everybody has different immunity, everyone is receiving different amounts of viral load. So, like if someone's constantly bombarding you, sneezes and coughs all day, then understandably you're in a quite a, a dangerous environment and ideally that person wouldn't be at work but similarly if you uh, have a raw vegan diet or you have a really fresh diet you're immunizing yourself without any vaccine um so the idea really is like even if this virus was released um in this seafood market or it started there damn you're gone again (laughs) hey and we're back but yeah, anyway, that's my, that's my take on the, on the pandemic stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, all I can really do is, uh, just say, I don't want it to uh, dominate the message, which is really about, you know, liberation and these co-housing things. I was just, sort of, oh, let's just, um, let's just raise these points and then mm-hmm. just leave them like, you know, they're there, that people can see them. People, like I say, can just make of it what they will. And I'll just continue to hopefully trying to like raise, uh, awareness of, of a cause that I think could, uh, could benefit people um, who are misemployed, unemployed, even, or people that are just simply absolutely fed up and depressed and anxious, like so many of us today. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think until we grapple with uh, the actual causal factors of um, of this widespread suffering, um, there's not really going to be much um, much change. But um, yeah, I think I feel like there is. Uh, there's going to happen quite quickly now that we can just simply connect and we can. Uh, Gather, even though right now we can't gather. No gathering mm-hmm. signs in the parks at the moment. Do not, do not gather. Yeah,
1: crazy, right? <laughs> They're doing everything they can, man, to keep us from revolting and waking up and doing what we need to do to come together. Right? Yeah. They're trying hard. It, it is a big chess game by the looks of it, and I feel like we are far more educated on how to. Yeah, play.
0: I think they've um, they've uh, under underestimated. I think um, under- it, it just yeah. seems like a, a total. It, it, it does read as a joke like when you when you become aware of it it's just you can't help it that oh god the the, the audacity of it and, and you can sort of see why people liken them to like a sheep a sheep and a sheepdog it's like the, the human herd is so until those neurological pathways are developed you're very manipulable um and you can see like as soon as you've got like i said before like you've got the the perception. as soon as you've got their mind you've got their behavior you've got their action and that's that's how they've got people. Um, so yeah, alternative media is is really powerful, um, and I think that's really one one of the avenues that we can lift ourselves out of this bizarre mess that we found ourselves in. But, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, strange old times. Indeed, it
1: is. Yeah, we're on our way, man. This is this is the growth. You know, this is the change. When we go from something so, you know, backwards, it it, it takes a big big thing to really wake us up and change us. So, you know, the, we've been, they've been basically the universe has been trying to communicate with us for years to be like, you know, you got to do some things different, but not enough people have really heard the message. So it just Mm -hmm. keeps giving us more and more to say, you know, this is, this, this is going on now. Do you want to change yet? You know, we had the wildfires in Australia and people are like, Oh, that sucks. But then they just forget about it and go back to their everyday. You know, you yeah. hear about all kinds of terrible things all around the world all the time, but uh, we just always come back to our own lives and don't worry about yeah. what's going on over there. And but now, since we got something that's affecting the whole world, or allegedly affecting the whole world, at least the the restrictions are affecting the whole world. Then people are starting to say, "Well, something's got to change because now my life is affected."
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's how they've like. Like you just say, people go back to their normal lives very quickly. I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason why they've introduced you know, the Black Lives Matter thing so quickly. It's just, it totally shifts your perspective to something else. And so I think for so many people, when they're thinking on a day to day basis, uh, whereas the, the establishment are thinking more holistically, they're thinking on a much vaster expanse of time. So they can get away with this, as David likes called, the totalitarian tiptoe, yeah. because they're operating effectively outside of the bandwidth of. Of, of normal lay people who just you know they plan maybe a week ahead maybe they'll plan like a holiday in a month but they're not thinking from this huge uh, much vaster perspective of of their existence it's just the simple idea that they're on this tiny little rock in space and they're not expanding their minds in space and time and so that's how they've be, been able to manipulate people and they want to keep them in that state of consciousness i think they use the owls as as their uh, symbol. I think there's a tiny little owl in the US dollar bill as well, right? Mm. And I love these birds of prey because they're sort of symbolic of this higher awareness, mm. looking down on its prey. And from yeah. that awareness, we can manipulate these beings. Uh, and so, yeah, information is, is, it's basically an information war, isn't it? That we're in. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty much yeah. what's going on. And so, uh, like you said, it's meant to be confounding. It's all about obfuscation, you know, it just give us, more than enough information that we can deal with, then, then we don't know how to interpret it. And also, there's a lot of misinformation as well. So not only are there some like crazy conspiracy theories out there that are true, then there's a bunch of other ones that they create just to make it seem like every conspiracy theory is is bollocks essentially. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. Uh,
1: so it, it's very it's very hard for the average person to decipher what's really going on.
0: Yeah, I think it's that's definitely a part of it. They they introduce mm-hmm. these things, and it just, just discredits the whole. You know, as soon as you use the word conspiracy, I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose like if I want if I do presentations or something in the future, I, I want to start by just showing people words and just get them to realise how they feel about that word before they even know what I'm going to say. And mm-hmm. one of those words would be conspiracy because mm-hmm. it's like it's like an, an instantaneous response. Like mm-hmm. no, nah, I don't want that. No. Like, this is yeah. nonsense. Uh, you're a quack, you're a fringe lunatic, you've got nothing. Yeah. And like another word would be God as well. Like, I mean, p- these, these, these words mm. that people have where it's like, they just they just can't engage with it because it's got so much association with it. And so I guess that's why people are shifting, you know, you call it the universe, call it the creator, call mm. it nature itself or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's like understanding the automatic response that autopilot mm. that people have to words. And, um, but yeah, unfortunately, I think they've definitely been um, messing up people's minds by introducing all these sorts of things. I think Flat Earth is, it was also a sign up, in my opinion. Um, mm. It's just something to throw into the mix where it goes into the conspiracy bag. And, yes, and exactly. All of it. It's just, it's just black and white that everyone that's uh, questioning authority is basically a Flat Earther. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh,
1: that's like one of the only ones that I can't get on board with <laughs> yeah. pretty much everything. Like I could see reptilians running the world. I could see that being a possibility very well could be. And yeah. you know what? Like when I've real, I've delved deep into flat earth as well. Cause I wanted to know, I was like, is this just another one of those things that I'm so inundated with the opposite information that I truly am just buying into it. But when I've watched flat earth videos, it seems that there's something missing there. And it seems like everybody, the whole community is gravitating towards that being the answer because they think that a globe earth negates the possibility of God. They, it, they feel like it negates the possibility of a creator, but with right. a flat earth, they say now, since this means that somebody put this here, but to me, if that's even true, like it's possible that we could be living on a flat plane and this, massive conspiracy going on to keep us thinking that there's a globe. But to me, there would still need to be an answer. There would Mm -hmm. still, uh, out in space, in in nature in general, spheres still naturally form when there's no gravitational pull. You know, like things circulate in on themselves and create spheres. So that's still a, a consequence of natural law. But to me, the only way the flat earth could be a thing is if some higher alien race or, you know, higher consciousness decided to actually physically create a disc-like yeah. thing where they could just they could build it on their planet and then put it out in the space and then put all kinds of monkeys on it and then mess with their DNA. So it's possible, but yeah. it just seems when you look around and consider all the information we have, it doesn't seem likely that that's the most the, that's the most likely scenario. Yeah, like
0: yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. So for me, it's just like, well, just look at the moon. Go, just mm-hmm. just look at the sun. Uh, just take a telescope and look at any other planet, but like you say, yeah, if it's artificially created, that's definitely plausible. But mm-hmm. the idea that it's been naturally formed this way is, is for me. Ill- oh,
1: that doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think someone that came out with a book like hundred reasons the Earth is not a spinning ball, or something. A mm. you know, guy that came out with a book like this, but all of his reasons were effectively the same. Like he just kept alluding back to the same thing. Like, I can't really remember the, the author or anything, but there was someone, there was some flat Earth or online. You know, because I, I, myself, like when you first have the awakening, you're like, everything's a lie, <laughs> and you just like <laughs> just question everything. And yeah. if you see something in like the uh, Joe Rogan podcast. There's a guy that he gets on. I forget his name now. Uh, what's his name? The sort of a uh, shorter dude with the slick uh, black black oh, hair. Eddie Bravo, maybe Eddie Bravo. Yeah, he's like yeah. massive into all, all of this stuff, and yeah. uh, I think he's on board with the flat Earth as well. But um, he is, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's something that for me, I, and I think that's how that for them, it's all about polarization. So mm-hmm. if, if you think of like a, a balanced mind, and are you familiar with Mark Passio? I don't think so. Um, Right. Okay. So he he talks a lot about natural law. He talks about how 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 the brain's been manipulated and stuff like this as well. He's quite a sort of aggressive presenter. He he used to be in a satanic uh, cult. um He's come out and trying to expose what they are doing. It's basically satanic cult that's behind Mm. things. But he talks a lot about um, the, the the mind, and this is in line with a lot of Freemasonry actually, which is to do with. Um, equilibrium, which is supposedly mm. the lost word in Freemasonry. So all you need to do is polarize the human psyche, and it will never go. Mm. It will never um, have mm. this balance. So when they introduce things like the flat Earth, for me, my left brain hemisphere says no way. Like, whereas, like, if you're not, if you don't have that, the logic still in place, in this scientific kind of methodological kind of approach to things, then you can easily buy into anything you've lost touch with the, map, the sacred masculine, in place of the solely the sacred feminine, and vice versa. I mean, like Western education is a huge lobotomization, basically. I mean, it's like a, a removal. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's like you can remove like parts of the brain by the way you train children to think, mm. um, or, or more so. Um, yeah, because you're starving and- it of
1: energy, essentially.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, no. you're focusing and, 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 and fractionating. So when we're in these rooms, like French maths, uh, and we go into IT, food technology, um, there's no synthesis, there's no like, symbiosis in the mind, there's no contemplation or visualisation, there's no, there's no right brain stimulation. Even art itself is reduced to replicating objects that you can see in the outside world. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's no like stimulation coming from the imagination as such. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might vary in other schools, but ultimately that's rendered us incapable of comprehending the whole. And so this is why people don't just look up every day. I mean, where are, I mean no one knows where we are, and people walk around as if they know. I mean, we have mm-hmm. no idea, We're just mm-hmm. we're just spinning around on this microscopic rock in space orbiting some fire. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just totally absurd, and like, but it's fascinating that people don't even just simply. I mean, people do this, but I suppose look at a star and then contemplate that, you know, and actually start maybe think of yourself from the star's perspective, looking back, or start racking your mind and imagination through these scales and things. Um, I guess I've been doing this just through architecture and through my life, which perhaps led me to this awakening experience anyway. But it seems to me that yeah, Western education, as we call it, or Western indoctrination is probably more accurate, is um, is basically set you up for a lifetime sentence of slavery, a psychological slavery, where you don't even realise that you're enslaved. You think that you're free. Um, you live your life as if you are. And it's like your walls are invisible. It's like chains of gold, as people have said. Um so it's um, it's very subtle in that it's psychological, and I think that's what they, they moved away from this over in your face fascism dictatorship, and they realized that we don't need to do that. It's too obvious. There's always going to be a rebellion. We need right. to decide, like remote control them, mm-hmm. and so just remote controlled people by this hip- mass media hypnosis, and uh, it's far more effective than than getting the guns out and, sh- and just revealing yourself. Hey, I'm right. here. Like you know, you're going to get shot down. It's going to be the end of your, your reign. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's very clever and evil genius. It
2: that, is, that, yeah.
0: they're really, that they're really engaged in, um, mm-hmm. and it's just so unbelievable. Like I say, that it's just it can only really be stimulated from within. So it's like I think I had to learn that the hard way. There's, there's nothing that I can say to people to make them realize this. They have to. It has to be born from within themselves. This curiosity has to be born from within them, and that. Uh, then they might start going down the rabbit hole. But oh, yeah. there's really nothing I can say. I suppose there is stuff I can say float ideas, and maybe eventually they'll be interested in engaging with it. But um, yeah, I guess like uh, if I say with the assimilating the waters from the from the dam um, analogy, that process that you become quite a sort of a, you're so confused that you become a sort of like fanatical maniac who's like, oh my God, there's, there's no separation. Like, I'm, I'm not even alive, like you it's just nuts, but yeah, I mean it's a difficult thing to process um mm. this whole you know, death experience that uh, people go through um so yeah i mean are you so are you also interested in um other traditions like the uh, Hinduism or um, some sort of like esoteric literature or um, mm. Generally, uh, occult philosophy. Perhaps do you have interest in Buddhism, etc., and, and these sorts of traditions?
1: Yeah, for sure. um Well, you know, after I had that experience myself seven years ago, realizing all this truth by looking within my own mind, I there were certain things I realized that I literally thought came from my mind. I was like, I don't know if anybody sees it this way, and that's why another reason why I thought I was going to be put in a mental institution because I thought these were brand new ideas in a sense. And it wasn't necessarily like a a thing of like thinking that I had the truth and nobody else could see it. It was just like, maybe I'm one of the first, I don't know. But like, I feel like there's something I'm seeing that nobody else is. And if I spoke to anybody about it, they're going to think I'm crazy and put me in a mental institution. But I started you know, saying it anyways. I was like, tell them what I know. I was telling people what I seen because I knew it was the truth. And, um, so I would talk, I remember talking to a friend of mine and telling him, all about the ego and how we're controlled by it and everything we see, everything we want and everything we feel. Every bit of suffering we go through is because of our clinging to experience and trying to, uh, you know, chasing desires all the time, but never being with just nothing at all. And yeah. he basically just said to me, so what are you, a Buddhist now? And I was like, I don't know, am I? Like, I I have no idea what they what they believe. Like I had general idea of what Buddhism is, but I never looked deeply into it. Yep. So then I looked into it and I was like, yep, they got her figured out. <laughs> and then uh, another one of my friends I was talking to about the ego, She's told me to read uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And I was like, okay. So I read it. and I was like, oh my God, there are others out there like me. I'm not the only <laughs> one on the planet that sees it this way. And then I found uh, Ram Das and I found, um, I don't, not many people know about this guy, but George Gurdjieff, you ever hear of him?
2: Right. He's a
1: very interesting character. He was more active in the early 1900s. I read a book called In Search of the Miraculous. It was not by him, but it was by a guy named P.D. Ospensky, Ospensky, who followed around George Gurdjieff, because George Gurdjieff was basically telling um, anybody who wanted to hear about how you basically master yourself. And that was basically like transmuting all your different polarities into one. You know, um, he used the analogy of like... uh, a horse carriage. Like we are the person sitting on the carriage being driven. And then there's the guy who's, you know, controlling the horse with the whip and everything like that. And then there's the horse itself. But the idea is to bring all those three together and realize they're all the same thing. So he had these practices of showing people that we're all three. And Mm -hmm. uh, he also talked about different dimensions and he would say that basically You know, there are higher dimensional beings and there's lower dimensional beings, but from every living being's perspective, they are in the third dimension. Everybody has an experience of three dimensions. So you and I are experiencing this third dimension, but then there's a higher being who can see our entire life in an instant. And there's like, you know, uh, there's no real time. Like our perception of time is only a millisecond to them, but see, they're still living in a, a three dimensional world as well. But they just understand that they're they're basically just on a higher um, yeah. way of looking at it, I guess. So, like when we look down into an atom or an electron and see the birth of an electron come into existence and then go out of an existence in an instant, that is like an entire universe being born and then dying. So, like from our perspective, that lower uh, dimensional reality that seems like an instant to us, but the beings that are existing on that level, they experience entire lifetimes and and experience an entire universe. So I found that very interesting the way he described it. I was like, what are higher dimensional beings? Like, how can they work? How can there be more than three dimensions? It never made sense to me. But the way he described is that if you are an experiencing being, if you are in a physical form of any kind, even if it's more energetic, you are still experiencing your reality in three dimensions. Everything is relative. Like you and I are, seeing three dimensions, but then there's five dimensional beings who see our existence as having no perceptual time, but then they still are perceiving time from their perspective. And then they're in three dimensions and then five dimensions to them is even higher and so on and so forth. And it goes forever in each direction. It's kind of like the notes on a piano, you know, you got C over here and then you got higher C over here, but they're both C. So we exist, like we're in the third dimension in our octave, but then there's higher octaves than us and they just keep going and going and going and there's no limit to lower or higher. So after I found that, I was like, that completely blew my mind wide open. But, you know, finding Ramdash really is what introduced me to a lot of Eastern mysticism, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. And to me, their description of reality is probably the most accurate in terms of, all the religions of the world. I, I believe every religion of the world has a little bit of tidbits of truth in them. Like you can even find a lot of truth in the Bible or uh, in the Quran. There's still a lot of truth in there. But I just feel like those texts have been a lot more corrupted and changed over the yeah. years to manipulate people. Uh, the original uh, Christian doctrine might've been a lot more accurate to what the truth mm-hmm. is. But as I'm sure you're fully aware, over the centuries, kings and other monarchs have decided to Alter those passages to say, you know, I want to support the idea that I can have slaves. So let's use this passage about obeying your master to support the idea that I can have slaves. But in reality, if you if you really uh, scrutinize that passage and understand it from a higher perspective, really what it is is that when you surrender to the force of nature within you, when you're not trying to be separate from it, when you're not trying to be your egoic self, you are surrendering to that higher power and you become a slave to it. Be like, you just say, universe, what do you want me to do? And you obey it. When you have that mentality, then you return to God. So kings use that as a way to like, when you obey me, you return to God. But the idea in the grand scheme of things is that everybody has that God within them and we don't need to listen to a physical king in order to find that everyone should find the king within themselves or or the god within themselves so there's all kinds of different truths in all kinds of different holy books that accurately represent what's really happening but uh as i said you know they've all been corrupted in some way shape or form to keep this whole narrative of control going
0: yeah i think that they're often misconstrued throughout history i mean if you look at uh yeah i mean any of these mainstream religions that the the common denominator is that it's never about you. It's always about someone else, some other being, some higher being. And like, Mm -hmm. as soon as someone's telling me that, I'm like, goodbye. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) And you'll never achieve that state. You can never hope to be as holy as Jesus because we are mere mortals. And he was a higher being and he was a son of God. And we are God's children, but still we're nowhere near Jesus and never will be. So that kind of rhetoric is just something that steers me away right away. When anybody talks about separation, when you say you're here, you're a lower form, and then Buddha, Krishna, Jesus, uh, Elohim, whatever you want to call him, he's a higher form and there's no way you could ever be that. You can only aspire to be similar to it. That to me just uh, screams false because what I know to be true is that we are all the same being experiencing itself in an infinity of different ways. So anybody talking about separation, I just dismiss entirely.
0: Yeah. And that's that's been the crux of these. That's how they I mean, it's it's like um, hypnosis again. It's just constantly, if we're sort of looking from, in a way, what we're looking for, and mm-hmm. they've removed that that uh, introspection. They've, they've removed what's known as, I uh, think, uh, this divergent thinking um, where you're kind of contemplation, contemplating reality, uh, stimulation of the imagination, et cetera, and the more philosophical mindset. They've sort of outsourced that uh, to these other deities. And it's always about worshipping and art, mm-hmm. you know, uh, subscribing to idolatry. So they've switched off that mechanism in the mind, which is what's required for you to actually have this, uh, you know, uh, which I guess is a cerebral event, which allows you to raise your Kundalini and, and have this uh, new expansion of awareness. And then you and you realise how the deception works, uh, how these stories in religion have been manipulated and used to just keep people in the, in the state of fear and a state of uh, constant yeah, worship. And that. it's just yeah fascinating how these, these traditions always have... A more of an esoteric stint from where they've grown from so with Gnosticism which blossomed into Christianity when you look at these esoteric uh, scriptures etc and there is Dead Sea Scrolls or <coughs> it's like Sufism with, um, with Islam there's always something some seed through which these things blossomed and at one point they became corrupted perhaps um, but then Right from the from the middle of that is perhaps I mean there's one diagram where he, like this Mark Passio shows those like exoteric religions as he shows and then he shows the esoteric tradition and in, in the middle he shows uh, truth and it's uh, this truth is something that can only be really inwardly uh, visualised and realised um, and so that's why I think a lot of these poets and philosophers have been alluding to they're very quite hard to um, to understand might like people like william blake you know, think of these these total visionaries um where they're saying like you know uh, the trees can never be told so to be understood and not be believed mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something where like you see in a classroom where someone is telling you something that is making your mind very active and focused you're very attentive you're very you're 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 basically paying attention so it's like pay attention and everyone is like not no one is sort of like opening up their minds lying in a field or staring at like a lot of these Indian mystics they talk about how they had these experiences when they were just simply sitting under a tree, just looking at a leaf and they, they were imagining themselves moving through the leaf like and just shifting their awareness. So like, it's effectively and a lot of these people were totally illiterate and like country bumpkins. And so it just goes to show that you don't need to know anything. Like in fact we're sort of born with this awareness and we, we have it removed by all of these establishments and all these traditions. And it's, it's such a trip. And, or you're being sort of led, like, a here, kitty, 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 just you know, <laughs> being led down a garden path. And eventually, you just accept the, uh, the, uh, the enslavement. But yeah. as an architect, it's interesting to uh, see how almost the, the buildings and, and the infrastructure that we're surrounded by is also conspiring against us having these realisations. Because mm-hmm. we're constantly, right now, I'm in this room. I can see about what? the maximum three meters away from me but actually my reality right now is that just like at night time in a clear night sky that's my current reality but i'm not contemplating that because it's simply outside out of mind but if we were more so in tune with nature more in touch with nature away from these cities that are just so distracting like you've seen the treatment show I imagine and the yeah. uh, matrix that's just a perfect allegory treatment show I, I find that quite humorous to watch that because it's just right on cue right uh just i think on the money with that and just how everyone is like they often talk about you know you need to be a hermit we have this whole hermetic philosophy when you go off on your own then you start to visualize then you start to imagine or even if you're just say having a bath or something on your own only then might your mind begin to sort of become more childlike more playful with imagination but as soon as like you're of the world, as soon, soon as you're engaged with constant activity, going to the pub, doing, doing this, doing that, and of course there's nothing wrong with these things, but if that's solely you know, what's happening without this sort of more imaginative approach, then that's how you have this kind of more left-brain dominated uh, psyche, which is not lending itself to the sort of environment that's conducive to awakening. Um, so yeah, there's a number of ways that we are sort of trapping ourselves, and, and have all of these things have been imposed upon us as well by you know authorities. But we've sort of become our own I think mean, David Ike is saying that like, we've out sheeped the sheepdog. You know, mm-hmm. We've become the own our own police force. We're policing ourselves, mm-hmm. like we're thought police. Like my sister is is the is the thought police. Like, mm-hmm. my mum is the thought police friends are the thought police. Like you can't <laughs> you can't like as soon as you like I say you have a different stance on something, different position, it gets shut down quickly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they look at you like, you know This is sort of an anger that they have as well. I mean, it's like, was it all great truths pass through three stages? The Schopenhauer uh, quote: that first first they are, is it first they're ridiculed, then they're violently opposed, and finally they're they're self-evident. So people have to go through these stages, and often you're met with just like hostile anger uh, Mm. when you tell them that they. I guess guess even with this pandemic, like if you tell them that you know it's it's a hoax. You're going to be met with anger and and ridicule. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I've seen that a lot. You know, people people will make posts and just say, like, if you believe this is a plan, kindly delete yourself from my friends list because you're (laughs) an idiot. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so you know for sure. You've done all the research and you're absolutely certain there's no agenda here whatsoever. How can you be so certain? Like, that's the thing that's different about the people who are spouting conspiracy theories and the people that are going with a regular narrative is that the people that spouted conspiracy theories often say, I'm pretty sure, but I don't know. But then the people who are going with the regular narrative are saying, this is the way it is and I'm 100% and there's no change in my mind. So it just makes you wonder, like, how can they know for sure? Because they're only getting their sources from the – major mainstream accepted credible sources but if you look deeply into any one of these sources they're often found to have a lot of corruption as well and especially the idea of that the major media conglomerates of the world are all owned by the same people and they're owned by the people that are basically just keeping industry going making sure their industry thrives and it just makes you wonder is there a conflict of interest here could they be only feeding us this media because it puts more money in their pockets puts more power in their control like i don't know like when like you said when you open your eyes to it it seems pretty obvious what's going on again i don't know specifics i don't know if we are controlled by a reptilian race that came here to mine our gold or whatever i don't know but there's clearly the the case is not that um, this is just the way it is and there's no way we can find a better way to live than this world. You know, yeah. it, it just seems outrageous to me to even consider that I'm like, you know, okay, yeah, there's gotta be poverty. There's gotta be war. That's just part of the human condition. There's no way we can get around that. There's gotta be fear. We have to, we have to acquiesce to a higher state because we are not educated enough and we are mere humans and we should look to the scientists of the world to answer all of our questions. And just because we haven't gone to school for 20 years to learn about this stuff, we can't understand it on a deeper level. That's yeah. just outrageous. We, we have the capacity to understand anything. Like you said, like a lot of these people that had these awakening experiences and started to really understand things from a deeper level, they couldn't even read. You know, it doesn't matter. If you have this knowledge that comes from the world, you come into this world with everything you need to know but your interaction with our society basically says, you are less than, you don't know, you're only a kid. There's no way you could possibly comprehend. So you might as well listen to your teacher and listen to your parents and just take what they say at face value. And then we get scared because we feel pain. And then our teacher or parent is like, the reason why you feel pain is because of this. And then we look to them for answers because they seem to have the answers to get rid of our pain. And when someone offers you a way out of your suffering, you're going to take everything
0: they say at face value.
2: Yeah, That's
1: pretty much the... The structure of religion religion in general
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it seems increasingly politically so like they are playing daddy really mm. yeah <laughs> um, like more and more apparent as the years go by like mm. you know, now they kind of want to uh, well i saw one one bill they were trying to pass hr 666 six, okay. <laughs> there's, <laughs> the, there's the numerology for you um but um yeah, you seen that one, right? Where they That's they want to come into the homes now? They're like, the virus is no longer on the streets; it's in your house now. We're going to come and take your children. I'm like what? Hang on a minute! <laughs> so, I was like, we need to we need to raise your child now because you're not, you know, basically you're susceptible to being racist and all this stuff. Like humans are flawed. Like we need to there needs to be more of a structured approach, a more globalist approach to you know raising people methodically, so that we're basically all the same. <laughs> These yeah. drones. It's you know. insane. Um, but yeah, it's interesting there you go again. Yeah. Well, oh, all good. All good. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, that's what we were just saying. I can't remember who's saying, but like yeah, the more you know, the more you don't know. Like it's um it's this kind of like confusion. Like people who are doubting themselves are the people that have like uh, become aware, become more conscious. But the people who are cocksure are the people who are still unconscious. Yeah. And it's this weird paradox, like you often see people that come out of uh, uni or come out of college. You can you can see this arrogance in them, and it's mm. like you know, they they for them they they know everything. It's like everything is just capped yeah. um, in this sort of eggshell, and uh, it's quite fascinating to see that how it works. I mean, even just yesterday on the beach, I could see a load of uh, students, and it was it was that same sort of um, excessive intellectualism, mm. where like everything has become knowledge based, like almost all conversations now. Um, are increasingly about you know knowledge. It's it's like some sort of a battle, like who knows the most, who has the most so information. <laughs> yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. and it's so so off the beaten track from spiritual evolutions and developing self development. But um, mm-hmm. it's all to do with like um, the ego, you know. Really, it's um, it's like I know this, and I therefore have more power. Like knowledge is power, you know. Yeah, and so it's, it's it's I'm not one that really fares too well in these like oppositional um environments so like it'd be it's kind of the, one thing that i started doing actually is listening to people that i know that i disagree with Um mm. i found that it's like well hang on like it's been half an hour since i you know started listening to this and i don't even i haven't even disagreed say with someone that i might uh, otherwise have i don't know, like there's certain um there's certain people that i know that i disagree with like people like ben shapiro or uh, often like Candace Owens, know, you heard these, like, they're, they're more like polit- they talk about more political things. Mm-hmm. But I purposely try and listen to them so that I can sort of become, I guess, more um, uh, capable of dealing with oppositional uh, debates or just, and, all, and also just to learn things. Because like I say, it's not always like uh, you disagree with everything they say, but it's, that's mm-hmm. often the way pitch. It's like you have the left and you have the right. We have mm-hmm. these believers, we have these believers. Say. So, this is this balance that our mindsets out. It's just trying to get some sort of synthesis and like have an adult conversation like, hey, you think this, I think that. But it's often the emotionality gets involved and it's mm. like becomes this attritional, like uh, quite hard going uh, conversation to have with uh, with a number of people that have yeah you know, unfortunately like you well, suppose eventually you learn you learn how to pick your battles. It's mm. like okay, I don't know, I don't think there's much point in me talking to this person or trying to make them aware of this. Because it's only going to be met with with scorn. So mm-hmm. you save yourself a lot of energy once uh, once it settles down. I suppose it was the first year since since my awakening that took me about a year to sort of acclimatise to it and let go of just like uh, needing to sort of talk about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, yeah, it's the process obviously you've got to go through. Um, mm-hmm.
2: so, yeah.
0: Have you had like so your upbringing and your family? Are they like sort of secularly religious, or sort of spiritual, or are they? Um, um
1: My mom always used to say when I was growing up that she feels like there's something higher that she like. She was raised to Pentecost, but she had like she didn't. Well, basically, she didn't. um She didn't like it very much growing up because she found that she would go to church and they would teach you about how that only judge only God can judge me. But then everybody at the church was judging each other. So she started to see the hypocrisy in it very young. So she didn't, she didn't feel, uh, right there. And she went to church her whole young life, but I'm, she's never taken me to church. I wasn't baptized into any religion. I don't think she identifies as Pentecost in any way, but she does believe in something greater than herself. Uh, my father, he was more of an atheist, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't know if he even knew what that word was or if he identified with that, but When I was in grade six, he told me straight up, God is Bunko. And uh, so after that, I kind of just realized that he was not a believer at all. He always had a bad taste in his mouth for religion. But I think that was because he was beaten up by other kids who had a different religion than him. Right. But but honestly... uh, I think my family, well, I'm after speaking to my mom a lot about what I believe now. And every time I tell her what I believe, she's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So she's, she's definitely understanding of the whole concept. And she's often asked me questions about what I truly, the way I truly see it. So yeah, she's very open to it. My friends and family in general are very open to it. There are some that, uh, you know, still disagree with me in some ways, but you know, for the most part, um they're always open to the conversation and they're always open to the idea of expanding what they already know.
0: Yeah, that's nice. It's really quite important to have the family or friends around you that can, or at least some of them, that you can have some support from or understanding. Because uh, yeah, otherwise I think for the moment it's like uh, a lot of the people who we perhaps resonate with are on the other side of the world. Uh, and so that's why I think it's great that social media is sort of bringing some of these people together. I mean, even this conversation now would have previously been impossible. Yeah. So it's like it's having people that you see, like you said earlier, like, oh, I'm not the only one that's, that's going as that's brilliant. Like, I, you know, to start creating or like find your tribe or find a group of people that are like-minded, I think it's quite a niche thing still, even though there's this awakening going on. To actually find them in your immediate circle is still quite challenging, definitely here in London anyway, where it's like mainframe of the matrix, I call it. Um, and it's like, everyone's totally plugged in and, uh, so yeah it can be quite difficult to find these conversations but i guess i'm not particularly someone that has uh, been massively active i need to be a bit more proactive but when i have done i've often found that it's just uh, big differences or they have a totally different spin on on things like whether it's they've fallen down into the belief um or into certain religions uh, but there are increasingly i think some some sort of spiritualist groups coming together or, or people that are awakening to the, all this deception etc uh, are there any groups around um in Newfoundland or around where you live that uh, like minds or apart from the friends that you've mentioned?
1: Mm. Not that I know of. <laughs> Not at all really. Like I don't know. I, I tried to open myself up to something like that earlier this year and I went on uh no, actually I didn't even go on meetup at first. I just I was at I don't know where I've seen it. I was out somewhere maybe at a yoga studio or something like that, and I seen an advertisement for something called like um the healing sound of Hugh or something like that. And I was like, what is all this about? And this uh, the ad really caught my eye. And I yeah. looked into it. And then I went to this meeting, and it was like um, I think no, actually, I think I Googled like spiritually based groups in, in St. John's, and that was one that I found. I went and it was it was basically the truth in every way I see it, but it was geared towards uh astral projection and oh, yeah. talking about. Uh, connecting to God through using the sound hue. And we'll, basically, you just right. you go, hue, and you say that over and oh. over, and that's like their mantra that connects them. So the I met up with them. Go was ahead. the
0: organizer called Hugh.
1: Was the organizer called Hue? <laughs> yeah. No, it was, that was just, yeah. <laughs> that was, um, I'm not really sure really- it was, it was created by this man named Harold Klimp, I believe, and I read a bit of his book, and I was like, yeah, he pretty much is on to it. But, right. yeah, uh, it's just a different approach, a different angle to look at it, but it still seemed to be pretty much representative
0: of the truth in other ways. But, yeah, that's cool. but yeah, there's nothing much here. Right, yeah, a few and far Farber's Fiend. Yeah, that's what i found here as well, unfortunately. Um, have you had many... Um I have quite a few lucid dreams. Do you have any like Have you had any astral projection experiences or lucid dreaming and et cetera? Have you been sort of spoken to as so to speak in in, in some sort of metaphysical ways? Hmm. Yeah.
1: Most definitely. Um I guess I have in a sense, but at the same time, I don't see really a separation between dreams and and interdimensional travel or whatever you want to call it that. Like it's all the same to me. It's just that sometimes when you're in a in a more Um, I guess higher state of consciousness, a more stable state of mind, your dreams reflect the truth a lot more. Like you could have dreams that are really chaotic and make no sense to you. They just seem like nonsense, but then you can have dreams that are really profound and teach you something really, uh, really true that you couldn't have fathomed in your everyday waking life.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I had a very profound, I would call it astral projection experience. Because to me, I was just meditating on my bed and I wasn't even tired, but then all of a sudden I was somewhere else. Like I didn't even find myself falling asleep. It was just kind of instant. I was just lying on my bed and then all of a sudden I was in a dream world. But to me, it was very... Very real. I've had many dreams where it did, it seemed just as real as this right now. There was no difference to me whatsoever, yeah. and I was also awake in them. I was like, "Oh wow, where am I now? What's going on here? Who am I in this world?" I would literally yeah. try to learn about the the reality I'm in while I'm in it. Um, yeah. Just okay, so you can still hear me. You're you're frozen, so I just wanted to be sure. No, um, yeah, you're frozen. Well, actually, but I can still hear you. <laughs> all right, that's all that matters. So I'll tell you that one. That was actually a very interesting story. It was. Um, December of 2017, I was in my apartment lying on my bed, meditating. And then all of a sudden I was somewhere else. And what happened was I came to in this reality and I was on a Superman ride. Like are you familiar with those at carnivals or it's just a straight up and down thing. You like, you rise up and then you drop really fast. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So I woke up on one of these. And I was like, Whoa, where am I? What's going on? What is, what is this? Uh, how did I get here? Kind of thing. And I, I basically, I knew what, like I had a big enough understanding to understand that I was in a different dimension or reality. And I was like, okay, so who am I here? Am I still Mike? Um, is it still the same year? Am I still in the same city? I was trying, I was just trying to piece together everything at once. And so I put my hands out and we were at the top of this ride ready to drop. And I put my hands out. And as I did, Ah, uh, the person sitting next to me did the same thing, and I seen their hands, and I could tell they were women's hands. They were small, and they had nail polish, and and I just had this feeling, I just had this knowing that whoever was sitting next to me was with me. It was my friend, my girlfriend, whoever. So I was like, okay, so I I know that this much that I'm with this person. I could feel the connection between us, and then we dropped on the ride. And also when I put my hand out, I think she held my hand as well. So that I'll kind of just verify that there was a connection there. And we dropped. And when we got off the ride, one of my friends from this reality, his name is Paul. He was there waiting for us. And when uh-huh. I looked at this girl who was with me, it was somebody who I had been in a band with seven years prior to that. And I, I barely knew her we were in a very big band. There was like 20 of us in this band because there was a lot of different singers and we would switch up. It was, it was a country tribute band that I joined for a week essentially. So I got to, I got to know her a little bit, but we barely ever spoke and I hadn't spoken to her in seven years. And for some reason she was in this reality with me and I had no idea why. So I was like, okay, so I wonder if she's my girlfriend here. I wonder if she's my friend, like what's our relationship. So we started walking, uh, the three of us started walking around the carnival together. And, um, at this point, like I knew that I had come from another reality and I was just ecstatic. I was filled with so much amazing energy that I I really couldn't calm down. Like I was just like, Oh yeah, here we go. Oh my God. Like it was unreal. It was like I had drinking like 20 coffees and I, I was just filled with ecstasy and it was amazing. And at one point, this girl who was with me, she was on my left or she was on my right and she put her left arm up over my shoulder and she was kind of dragging me down a bit. I felt like the the weight of her pulling me and where I was so full of energy, I didn't want that to happen. I was like, I want to keep going and I want to feel symmetrical. I don't want to be pulled to the side. So rather than telling her to get your arm off me, I just grabbed her and picked her up and held her like a baby. And when I did so, I remember my hand just kind of went when I, when I picked her up, my hand just kind of landed on her boob. And I was just like, I just pushed in on it just to see how she would react. And when I did, I felt like this resistance within her that it was not something that's okay. So I was like, okay, I started understanding. I was like, okay, she's definitely not my girlfriend. Then she must just be my friend. And then I was putting all this together. And then I understood that at some point it just became evident that she was my friend, Paul's girlfriend. And at this point, she never, yeah. Paul and her had never met in real life in my reality. But anyways, uh, um, at some point she walked away from me and Paul and I kind of separated and I wanted so bad to talk about what was going on, but I didn't know her and I didn't know how she would respond. So when Paul and I were together, I basically took him aside and I was like, Hey man, I was like, do you and I talk about like the universe and space and other realities a lot? Cause we do in this reality. So I was like, maybe we do here too. So he's like, yeah, of course. What are you talking about? We do all the time. We're always talking about like deep ideas. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, dude, I'm from a different reality. (laughs) And he was like, what do you mean? And he was really interested. I don't know. I couldn't really tell if he believed me, but he was really like, what are you talking about? Tell me more. So I was like, man, I'm like, I just came here. I just came into this body. I don't even know what happened 20 minutes ago. I don't even know how I got here. I'm from a different reality. And I was like, I was like, "What year is it, man?" He's like, "It's 2011." I was like, "Well, I'm from 2017," and he's like, "What? What are you talking about?" And I was like, "What? Where are we in the world?" He's like, "We're in St. John's," and at this point, I was living in my hometown of Goose Bay. And I was like, "Dude, I'm in Goose Bay, lying on my bed right now," but somehow I'm here. And he's like, "What is going on?" And it, I was just sharing all this information with him, and I, like I said, I was just wired, and he had one of these like slushies, you know, these big giant slushies with all the sugar. And I was just like, uh, eventually my friend uh, Robbie and I'll, another one of my friends from this reality who I barely ever see was there as well. Her name is Jill. They both came back and met up with us, but I didn't want to tell them what was going on because I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't sure how to respond. I felt comfortable telling Paul because I knew that we talked about that kind of thing. So yeah. when they showed back up, We were we were actually met between two school buses. I guess whatever for whatever reason they were at the carnival to maybe ship people there. But anyways, when they came back, they were like, What's going on with you? You seem crazy. I'm like, Well, I'm just I just drank one of these big slushies and I can't calm down. And I punched the bus and I just felt like so full of energy. It was insane. And then, anyways, the four of us started walking away. And as they were walking, we were all walking away. For whatever reason, I started to drift behind them and they got further away from me. And as I started to drift, Not only did I hear, but I also felt this frequency build up within me. It was like, and it just got louder, and I felt it more, and it actually shook my body. And then it just got to a breaking point. It was like, and then like I just snapped out of it, and I sat up on my bed back in Goose Bay, like the Exorcist. And I was like, and I was just like, I was like, where was I? What was that? Oh my god, this is insane. And I, at that point in time, I, I, kept a clipboard on my wall and a thumbtack. So if I woke up in the middle of the night with something, uh, you know, profound, I would just write it down. So I grabbed my clipboard and I was like, okay, Superman ride. Robbie was there. She was my friend. Paul was her, her boyfriend. And I was like, just wrote down every detail I could remember before it left my mind. And, yeah. um, that was remarkable enough. Honestly, that was like one of the most amazing experiences that I had in considering astral projection. But then what was really amazing was, like I said, I hadn't seen Robbie in seven years, didn't even really know her. Mm -hmm. And then um, this was the end of December in 2017. And then the first week of November, uh, I mean, sorry, the first week of January of the following year, um, I was on my Facebook and there was this ad saying the Ike Rich players are putting off a play. And that's like the local theater group in my hometown. And they said, if you want to be involved, you want to be a director, if you want to be an actor, anything like that, come on down to the audition and you can read and stuff like that. I'm like, cool. You know, I've always wanted to act, but I was always too scared when I was younger. But at this point, I wasn't scared of anything. So I was like, I'm going to try this shit out. So I, I heard this call and I went down to that meeting. And when I walked into the meeting, there was a table full of people all reading the script. And one of those people was Robbie. And I hadn't, like I said, haven't seen her in seven years, haven't spoke to her in that long. And, but honestly, at this point, it had been a week since that experience. And I pretty much forgot it. Like it never even clicked to me at that point that, you know, Mm. I had that dream or whatever with her. I just went in and I read and um, I played the character of this Southern man and everybody like she was laughing at me the whole time she couldn't get enough of my accent and she was just dying laughing at me and then i ended up getting the part of that southern man and then we spent the 3 month the next 3 months in a play together and every single time we had a practice or a rehearsal her and i were just connecting like we were best friends our whole life and it was All amazing right. like it was just like everything i would say she would laugh at and vice versa and we we just became like best friends instantly and then oh. And then a little later on, the play was over. But I guess for a couple reasons, she, she was a singer as well. And she told me, she said that she was uh, partaking in this local show. It was like a Dolly Parton tribute uh, type of show. And she was going to sing a couple songs. And she's like, would you be my drummer for this for this concert? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'd be honored. So her and I started hanging out after the play. And, uh, when it happened, I remember one day we were talking about some things online and she said she was trying to learn a guitar part for one of the songs. She wanted to play guitar and learn uh, and sing at the same time. So she said she was having a lot of trouble with the rhythm of it. And I played a little bit of guitar and I was a drummer. So rhythm was my forte. So I was like, well, you know, I could drop up to your house and I could show you the guitar part. So I went up to her house and, uh, we played guitar for all of maybe 20 minutes And then we ended up, she just asked me some questions about me. And I told her where I was in my life and told her that, you know, I'm living the spiritual path now and trying to educate people on the truth and blah, blah, blah. And then she was Mm -hmm. talking to me about all the spiritual experiences she had in her life and how she's never been able to explain them. And I gave her a different perspective. And she was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense now. So we ended up speaking for like three to four hours. And then at the end, I never even clicked the whole time. And then at the end, I was about to leave her house and it just dawned on me. I was like, holy shit. I was like, Robbie. A week before we met in real life again, I had this crazy dream and I told her all about the dream and it was just unreal. And honestly, after that, we used to hang out like two or three times a week. I used to go up to her house three times a week and we'd just hang out and talk about deep stuff and we'd go for hikes together. We instantly became best friends. And uh, over the course of the year, we had so many synchronicities. It was amazing. Like um, I'm sure uh, being familiar with the spiritual community. Are you aware of the law of attraction and the the secret? Yeah. So So the secret was one of the first things I was exposed to back in the day that really opened my mind to this. And I asked her one night when we were hanging out, I was like, have you ever seen that movie? And she said, no. So we sat down to watch it and then we were watching it. And about maybe a half an hour into the movie, um, she just paused it and was just curious. She just had a question come to her mind. She's like, what's on your bucket list? I was like, what is the things you want to achieve in your life? And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't really have a specific bucket list. I just want to free the world of their own slavery. You know, That's basically all I'm doing. Whatever way I do that, I don't care how it is. I want to share the truth and I want to share love so we can all be free. So I don't really have specific. But then she told me her, she's like, I want to swim with manta rays or some sort of, I don't remember, some sort of ray, (laughs) you know, she's like, I want to swim with them. And I want to swim with, uh, with, uh, whales as well. And I was like, that would be really cool. I was like, I want to put that on my bucket list. So I thought that was really interesting. And then, and it kind of just occurred to me. I was like, you know what, I guess I do have things now that I think about it. I was like, one thing that I've always wanted to do for the past few years is I want to conduct an orchestra. I want to be the guy that does this and controls all that music. You know, I want to be in control of all that happening. And I think that would be a really amazing experience to have. So I was like, I guess that's part of my bucket list. And then, so we just unpaused the music and uh, the movie and kept watching. And literally within a minute, actually, well, when she told me the manta ray thing, I was like, I'm not sure what a manta ray looks like. I'm picturing something, but I don't know if that's what it is. Anyways, about a minute after into the movie, after we unpaused, there was a manta ray on the screen. And she's like, look, that's a manta ray. And I was like, whoa, crazy law of attraction. Am I right? And then not even five seconds later, there was a guy conducting an orchestra.
0: Oh, man. Was, yeah,
1: This is unreal. Awesome. I was like, there's something going on. here. Man. There's a divine connection yeah. between you and I. So, yeah, that was like one of the most amazing experiences I had in terms of like astral projection. And because that one became fruitful, it, it, like it was basically predictive. It showed me something that was going to happen in my life. My connection yeah. with her started on an astral level before it started on a physical level.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, It was amazing, man.
0: Yeah. So it's like um, these synchronicities unfold. It's like at that point, there's nothing anyone can say to you. It's just oh, like, yeah. I know. That there's some weird stuff going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. I know there's a profound mystery surrounding all of us. Uh, no, mm. no religionist can come in and say, "Hey, <laughs> yeah. have you thought about worshiping this God?" Like, no, nah. <laughs> leave mm. me alone. So that all started from a um, uh, meditation, did you say? So you you just you weren't even particularly tired. You just closed your eyes and you got sort of zapped up into a, into a, yeah. almost like a time traveling sort of experience.
1: Yeah, I didn't uh, feel tired at all. I was just lying on my bed. I felt relaxed and calm. But I so was you're
0: just. Are there. There so you quite a big meditator? Do you often get into these similar states, or was this a one off, like sort of mind blowing thing that perhaps could have even had some sort of soul guide or extraterrestrial mm. intervention that mm. opened you up to this kind of um, experience? If, if it was a one off, or is it something that you meditate and you're quite good at, like, relaxing your mind and perhaps even having some sort of psychedelic quote unquote experience?
1: Mm. Um, I do regular uh, meditate on a pretty regular basis almost every day but it's very rare that i go into uh like deep experiences like that often i could i could get to the point of meditation where i'm still aware that i'm on my bed in a room somewhere but i've gone so deep that i've let let go of all all of my thoughts and be, like fell into the nothingness or the void to the point that i would be in meditation and i would know i'm in a room on a bed but I've gotten so deep that I've not known where I was. Like, there was a time, another time where I was on that bed in that same house that I had that experience on. And I had gotten so deep that I was just like, it kind of, I was in the meditation and I wasn't really thinking or feeling anything in particular. I just felt connected to everything. And then it kind of just dawned on me. The stop popped in. I was like, I don't know where I am. And I was like, am I in my own home? Am I at my mom's house? Am I in a different city? Because I was basically just understanding that. Earlier that year, I had been in Hawaii as well. And th- this was months later, but I was like, Am I in Hawaii right now? Like, I didn't know the answer immediately. And I was just like, This is fun. I was like, I don't know where I am. And rather than trying to figure it out, rather than turning on my logical brain and just being like, Okay, what do I feel left over from the day? How can I figure out where I am right now? I didn't, I wanted to see how long I could last in this unknowing. Wow. And for about wow. 30 seconds to a minute, I had no idea where I was in the world. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just came back to me, something popped in. And I remembered being at my mom's house earlier that day. And I was just like, oh, right, I'm still in Goose Bay, and I'm at my own apartment. And then, and then it kind of came back to me. So I can go into those deep states where I'm just connected to the infinite mm-hmm. energy, to the infinite void, where I don't have any particular thoughts or feelings about my own particular life. Yeah. But um, meditation usually for me Uh, now where my life is so busy. I I don't often get into that nothingness state. I just find Mm -hmm. uh, a calmer state of mind where I can see my own thoughts and feelings on a deeper level. The times that I have had more, I have had more experiences like that. uh, The one with Robbie, but none of them were predictive in that, in that way. But I have gone through what I would definitely describe as interdimensional travel. So I've, but, usually these would be induced by consuming cannabis edibles. So I would consume some cannabis edibles, go lie on my bed to meditate. And then again, I wouldn't feel tired, but then all of a sudden I would feel just like this instant tiredness. Like I would be completely awake, but then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, and then I'm just like, like, like I'm just sucked somewhere else. I'm getting, I would get so heavy and then I would just be sucked out of my body and then I'd be somewhere else. And I was actually telling a friend of mine this story the other day where I traveled through different levels of dimensions. Like I woke, I awoke in a, uh, in a, an experience where I was basically who my ego wanted me to be. I wanted, you know, my ego has this attachment to being world known, but on a deep level, I understand that desire is to, because I want to speak to the world and have them understand the truth. But I guess part of my ego started getting attached to it. So my subconscious wanted me to show me my attachment. So in this world, I was world known for being a spiritual person, but I wasn't being spiritual. I was being phony holy as Ram Dass would call it. And I remember being on my bed and I was still in the same room. I could see my room perfectly. Like everything was the same, but I was in a different dimension of it. And in this dimension, my father was there and my father had passed, I think like three years prior to this. So it was just amazing to be with him. I was like, oh my God, dad, you're here. And I just felt this loving connection between him. I was like, this is so nice to hang out with you. And he was like, yeah, it's been, it's great to be with you too. And he's like, I'm always with you. And it was just this really beautiful experience in general. Yeah. But then I kind of snapped out of that one and dad was gone, but the room was still the same but I was in a different dimension again. And in this dimension, I had carried over that exciting, loving energy. So the way it kind of expelled itself when I got to that next dimension was that it was just insane laughter. Like I sounded like a maniac. I was like, Oh, like just losing my mind laughing. And then in this world, this was where I was phony holy. Like I came, I came to, and then I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then for whatever reason, my mom called me and I came out of my room. Uh, She's like, what the hell is going on in there? You sound like a goddamn maniac. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't even want to tell her that I was with dad because in this world I just felt this disconnection between my mom and I, I never felt like we were close and I didn't speak to her about this thing. So I just kind of understood that, um, you know, for whatever reason, she wasn't going to get it. If I said I was with dad, she'd probably been like, no, your dad's gone. You got to accept that. So that's what I felt from her. So I never even bothered to tell her. But at the same time, she was like, what's going on in there? You sound crazy. There's these men here to see you. They're sitting at the kitchen table waiting to talk to you. So like, that's what I was telling me. Like, you know, people do want to speak to me. They want to work with me on a big scale, but I still never felt the spirituality. I wasn't, I was being phony holy. And my mom was basically someone that was trying to use me to try to get her own footing and become, so I could become famous, so she could become rich or something like that. So she's yeah. like, what's going on? Like these men are here to talk to you and you're in here laughing like a crazy person. Like, what's your problem? So in this world, I had the platform I wanted. I had the recognition I wanted, but I didn't have the spiritual connection anymore and I didn't have the relationship I had with my family anymore. So yeah. I realized that this was a, a, a darker timeline where I had something I wanted, but it was an egoic desire, so I didn't have the connection. And then I snapped out of that one, and I was in another realm where I was evolving physically. And just to give you some context, I, I have a very uh, unbalanced skeleton. I have scoliosis, and I have what's called pectus excavatum, which is an indentation in my chest. Like my chest sternum is not outwards. So, but in I often feel this change, like in my everyday life, I feel myself growing. Like I felt my spine get straighter over the years. So I am making this change physically. But in this realm I had transported to, it was going a lot faster. I could feel my spine like waking up and moving and clicking and clacking. And I was just like, holy shit! But when I'm in that state, it requires my full awareness. Like I can't think or feel about anything else. I had to be completely aware of the way my body's moving. Otherwise, I could hurt myself. So, I remember going to the bathroom to take a piss. And when I did so, I could feel my spine kind of expanding. But I was like, okay, I got to be super into this. And I went to the toilet and I was like getting ready to piss. And then what happened was um, my niece, she was four years old at the time. So she would often like just open the door and be like, hey, Uncle Mike. And but in this reality, I was so in tune with trying to involve my body that I was kind of like curt with her. I was like kind of strict. And I was just like, get out, get out. Mike, uncle Mike needs his time alone. Uncle Mike needs his privacy. Whereas normally I would just like, Hey, get out of here. I'm taking a pee. Give me my privacy. I'd be more playful about it. But since I was so in trying to like, basically, you know, focus all my energy on that, I was a little bit more strict with her and she felt that energy. And she was like, uncle Mike, you're mean. And I was like, "Oh man, I made her sad," and I was so regretful. I was like, "I wish I never did that." So in this reality, I never had a good relationship with my family either. But then I, like, I kind of left, and I was learning all this as this was happening. I was like, "You got to be nicer to your family. Uh, what matters is that you tell the truth. It doesn't matter if you know." All these lessons were coming to me as I was experiencing this. And then I remember going to the porch where my mom and my sister and my nieces were. And we were saying goodbye, but there was this tension. Like None of us were loving to each other. None of us were the way we normally are. We're like, oh, okay, see you later. All hugs and kisses and stuff. That wasn't there. So I was like, what's going on? And then I learned all these lessons. And then all of a sudden, I was transported to another reality where I was basically in the heaven realm. And I was sitting in a field with a group of people. Can you
0: hear me? No? There's no audio. Ah, just, just okay. off a few seconds ago. Oh man, right. it's I'm, only only any the last couple of seconds. All right. All right. Boom.
1: All right. Cool. Back. Okay, cool. So where was I before I cut
0: out? Um, so the edible experience, uh, you're coming back, uh, your mom, you're talking about the fact that your you had to accept that your dad wasn't uh with you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and something that you've got to put behind you. Um and yeah. So well did I get forward. to the point where I was like
1: transforming my body and my niece came in. That's
2: right. Yeah. yeah that's okay. Right.
1: So after that, after I basically told her off, she got all sad. And then I realized we were in the porch a little bit later on and it was me and my mom and my sister and my nieces. And there was just this tension between us. And I, I basically just, I, I felt that we weren't close in this world. So again, I was learning more lessons. And then since all these things were being taught to me, then I got transported to another reality where I was literally just in the heaven realm to me. Like I was sitting in a field surrounded by people. We were all holding hands and we we're meditating together. And there was just this absolute feeling of love and connection and togetherness. And then I basically woke up from that. And it was like this fall from grace. Like as I was coming back into my body, I was like, oh, I don't want to go back. You know, that heaven realm was so amazing. It was so beautiful. I want those experiences but as I was transitioning back into my body, there was like this intelligence communicating with me saying, I, although you don't feel this ecstasy in every day, this is equally as important and you have to do this work here as well. So you can find joy and you can find heaven in this realm if you just understand that it's always there with you. So that, that was mm-hmm. kind of the takeaway from that whole experience. And um, that was one of the other major ones I had. And there was a couple other times where I had edible experiences where I would lie in my bed, meditate, and then be brought somewhere else and then go through this whole interdimensional travel and learn all kinds of things and come back with some new wisdom.
0: Wow. It's quite a malleable um, mind you've got there. It mm. seems like uh, you've got um, you've got a pathway. It's lending itself to these experiences of other densities, dimensions, whatever you want to call them. Um, mm. So there's the one the original, which was not um, cannabis-induced, and then the other ones have been uh, ed- edible cannabis-induced. Mm-hmm. And then... That's fascinating because how you talk about um, being sort of sucked into several reality, and you still have the memory of that feeling, that sensation, and and the and the lucidity of those other dimensions. When you, when you kind of like are looking around in these other states, and you can touch things, and you can communicate, and it's just one hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. It's just like what you know. It's the most like you say. It's the most ecstatic uh experience that you can have like i've i've only had those through i've only had one astral projection experience um which was nothing of the sort of what you've just described but i've had some lucid experiences where similarly like the excitement i like you mentioned like how you gotta suspend yourself that how you've got to, how long can i stay in this one for mm. like it seems that when i've been when i've realized or i've become lucid in a dream it's like the excitement actually removes me from the experience yeah because it becomes so kind of like oh my god and yeah. you wake up and, oh, damn it why didn't i just like stay cool just stay yeah. calm and like just have a look around go and look in the mirror and that's the trippiest thing you look in the mirror and you're like what the hell mm-hmm. and you know that you're not you know you're like so sort of dreaming you're like that's like the weirdest thing that but yeah i mean it's absolutely fascinating experiences that you've got like and it's nice that you've they've come to you in waking states as well Because so mm-hmm. i've not i've never had one in a waking state i've always been asleep so like and, and the fact that the synchronicity followed with your friend as well uh and it's a sort of confirmation of these kind of like otherworldly experiences so do you feel like you're having these as a sort of like i mean some people talk about um how we come into this life and we have a certain path that we experience and perhaps you're being given these experiences um, in some ways for you to then relay those and helps like you're obviously trying to raise human consciousness and share these these stories and help to basically create a better world. I guess like you have this arsenal of these experiences that uh, give you more excitement about this topic and also even maybe, perhaps even inspired you to do this podcast mm. uh, to connect with people that can uh, resonate or understand with these similar experiences. Um, but yeah, wow. Like you know, the lucidity is always like just you can't. You can't really explain how ecstatic. Um, I guess you must you must have felt like mm-hmm. when you first realized that. Um, to what extent, by the way, when you've been in these states, to what extent um, is your apparent external environment um, malleable or manipulable in some way by your mind? Like, is it when you say so you have spoken to a friend in a um, you know in an astral state? Is there any play? Can you change things in your environment, or does it feel as physical and as and and difficult to change as, as we are in this dimension mm. or is it more ethereal and you can what you think happens in front of you
1: um the one where i had at the carnival with robbie it was just as real as this there was no like i could manipulate things in the sense that i could pick up the sand or something like that but when it comes to like the magic side of things there was there was nothing like that except for the ecstatic energy that i felt um, but i did have one experience it was actually with robbie as well it was a couple months after meeting her and being her friend. I, I was in a dream state and I came to and we, me and her and somebody else were driving in her Jeep and I was in the passenger seat and I came to and I was like, "Whoa, I'm in a dream. I'm like, hey, do you realize we're in a dream right now? And like I was talking to her about it and then it just kind of came to me. And I was like, well, in a dream, I can do whatever I want. And then I just had the thought of making the Jeep fly i was like, I'm going to will this Jeep to fly. And was, it was literally, it was just as real as this. Like, it was as if I made, you know, it was just as solid. But again, I was just like, here we go. And I just made it so, and the Jeep went up in the air. And we were about like 50 to 100 feet in the air. But like you said about the excitement, when I got up in the air, the the, the emotion of having it happen was like, oh my God, I'm actually doing it. And then <laughs> then I came down because I got too excited about it. And I've had similar experiences where uh, I actually had another dream where I was flying uh, in the same way It came to. I was just walking along a a path or actually it was an open field and I just thought, you know, I know I can fly. So I just jumped and it was just like a really big jump. I jumped like 100 feet in the air and I I coasted for maybe like 50 to 100 feet. And then I just slowly came back down because the emotional excitement takes away from that control in order to have that control you have to be like at peace with like mm, this is what i do you know i can't be like oh my god this is amazing because you get too yeah, excited so about it that that emotion creates a different yeah, world right
0: flying around in the jeep is just like eh, this you know <laughs> yeah exactly cool <laughs> calm collected about it yeah it's yeah. A hard hard thing to do mm-hmm. but, um yeah the amazing like i think to some to some extent we can then um, I think this is like a lot of what they call like magic in, in, in this density as well. It's mm. like basically getting things to happen in conformity with your will. Yeah. So I think it basically takes a lot longer time and it takes a lot more devotion and dedication and a lot more mental um, uh, focus mm. to, to make things like that happen. Right. Um, I guess you get Like synchronicities and things where you can see that, oh, my thoughts are shaping my environment, but there's a lag. And sometimes that lag is so long. But it feels mm. like that's not what happened. But right. yeah, in the lucid state, it's happening immediately. And uh I yeah, when you realise what you that you can do anything that you want to do, the first thing that typically I think people do is have sex, number one. Do <laughs> yeah. they want. And then number two, fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> having sex and flying that's that's all people really want to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <pretty laughs> yeah those are the big ones for and sure
0: anything and you can be anyone yeah like, oh, i want you to be. it's just it's just mind-blowing mm-hmm. uh so I've, I've only had these that's what i was going to ask you as well like when you've had these experiences were they um but like mine came at a time when i wasn't as focused in the world like i mm-hmm. wasn't employed i wasn't as like um paying so much attention throughout the day, I suppose like somehow there's some mechanism that lets go. Like your your mind starts letting go of this worldly dimension mm. for you, because I, I never really call it, um, since meditation comes with a sort of loaded term as well. People think you have to sort of sit down and do all this. Um, but when I've been more imaginative, more detached from secular affairs, that's when I've had these, like the, 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 the gap between the, say, astral plane and the physical plane seems to reduce. The more sort of free you are, the more like um, relaxed you are in your daily life. You're not running around like constantly trying to do all these things. Um, so at the moment, I haven't had many for a while, but um, yeah, I have had them in the past where it's like I say, um, just or say tsunami. Like I, one big theme for me seems to be like, I know it's this fear and this anxiety. Like, I, I've often had these huge, um, or the atmosphere is always quite um, uh, disturbing and you know there's something about to happen and you're not quite lucid yet there'll be a huge like tsunami coming on the, the horizon, mm. you know, a whole, but then, then when what started happening is I started realizing that that wave is in my mind, doesn't exist. And so eventually I, I was able to control the tide, was able to control the waves and stuff. And I just fly and, and just dive into the wave and then just fly up into the air. And just all of these things, like as, as I became more kind of free with my daily life, became more, um, are capable of, of um, changing your dream, dream to your will or to what you prefer to experience. Instead of the dream just happening to you, it's actually like more in your power. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, I haven't had one for a while. I kind of always sometimes hope for them to like, come back in the, in, right. in the, in the night time. Yeah. But the only actual projection thing is when I've just caught myself going back into my body mm-hmm. and I felt this like vibration. It's like I saw the wallpaper and everything around me, but I knew that I could see my body in bed. Mm -hmm. and i I was i could see the room around me by like this like vibration started it was like trying to uh, land a plane but i'd never done that before so it was like it it was this really kind of like rough jolty kind of like thing back into my body that was that's the only thing where i've had where it's like i guess an astral projection as opposed to just a lucid state i don't know if there's particularly any strict difference between this but um yeah it's like it's just a life-changing experience again I, I suppose it's like i say once you've had one of these dark experiences um you're going to start going down the rabbit hole uh if you haven't been doing so already yeah uh, so they could probably open people up um in, in a number of ways there's just kind of I, might, I always like hearing about other people's experience as well because it's just uh there's just so many different variables so many people always have different um experiences that are insightful and uh you know, sometimes they're the contradict contradictory to what you thought might have, have been the reality or something. But you always learn something from these other experiences that people have. So, like you, you have these regularly. Then um, you have like, um, mm. or or if you say 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 later on today, if you buy some edibles, could mm. you would you have another experience with that? Is it is formulaic as that? You can just sit down. No. here? Okay, I want. Is that oh. is
1: is never is is almost never by choice. Um, right. The times that it have happened have been very similar. Um, it's usually in the middle of the day when I choose to meditate and if I've taken some edibles. So, uh, it very rarely happens to me when I go to bed at night, although I've had had some dreams that were pretty unreal in terms, but honestly, some of the most profound dreams I've had is when I've taken breaks from cannabis. Cause I'll, I'll regularly take breaks because I'll find myself becoming dependent on it. And, uh, I want to be able to attain that level of consciousness from my own Will rather than you know depending on a substance in order to do so. So yeah. every couple weeks, if I find that I'm turning to cannabis for those that connection feeling, then I'll be like, okay, it's time to take a break. You're going to get there by meditation and exercise and all that stuff. So when I do this, the first couple nights I have crazy dreams because normally when I uh, when I use cannabis before I go to sleep. Um, it makes it so that I barely remember my dreams at all. I might wake up like with feelings or remembering uh, like a, a memory of feeling something, but I very rarely remember details. But when I don't take cannabis before I go to sleep, my dreams are like full feature films. Like I could go through an entire lifetime sometimes. It's, it's insane what I can experience in a dream when I don't. So yeah, there have been times where I've experienced that uh, at night, but usually... Those aren't always the most lucid. It's just that there's a lot going on, but yeah, um, I've tried to induce this. Like after that one, that I was telling you where I was going through different dimensions. That was in the middle of the day with edibles. So then a couple of days later, I did the same thing. I took the same amount, and then I lied on my bed in the middle of the day and I just meditated. There was I didn't even I don't even know if I felt the effects of the edibles. Sometimes right. I don't even feel it at all, and then other times I'm literally inter interdimensionally traveling, and it right. does it doesn't seem dependent on dose at all. It's just like by chance. So I feel like I just right. it just kind of happens to me when I most need it, uh, when mm. you know when my mind has gotten to a point where I need to shed some aspects of my ego, I'll go into an interdimensional realm where it, I can learn those lessons in a deeper way, and then I come back with that right. knowledge. So yeah. I don't know how many experiences I've had. Like like I said, I woke up seven years ago. And I probably had maybe like 10 or 12 experiences that I would consider astral travel or, or interdimensional travel. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't really know the formula formula to induce it. Uh, I would love to get it down pat, but I feel like just, I feel on a deep level, my desire for it is keeping me from doing it. You know, if I'm like, yeah. Oh, I want to do that again, then it's not going to happen. But if I let go of the idea, that's when I'll have a, uh, I'll have another experience.
0: Yeah, it seems to be something of more also about allowance, Is how we allow ourselves to fall asleep. It's like if you really, really go for it, you're mm-hmm. just going to not get anywhere. Yeah, and you like, can't try to fall asleep.
2: Like,
0: yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. more like the the subconscious time, yeah, like I say, just the, the acceptance, the allowance, not clinging hold of stuff and just allowing the divine timing of things. I always wondered to what extent are there other beings involved, like people call them spirit guides or maybe even some sort of yeah, extraterrestrial guidance, Wonder what to what extent, say, like you're seemingly zapped into this other reality, like the first story you told. I always wonder to what extent, because I watched a bit of Cosmic Disclosure. you aware of Gaia and uh, the, all yeah. the stories that have gone They talk about how this guy, Corey Good, is is zapped into these other areas of, 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 the, of the galaxy, right. or just different space time continuums, etc. So I wonder to what extent maybe that is a, is a part of it, whether it's just solely. A result of the mechanism of the way that you're using your mind. I guess it's like it's so difficult to ever entertain even being able to answer that question. But uh, I don't know whether you uh, have been watching any of these uh, shows that are talking mm-hmm. more so about extraterrestrials or spirit guides. Uh, whether you have what your take is on that, etc. Um,
1: the I guess I kind of see it like I I see it all as as possible, and I, I do recognize the the plausibility of all of it. Uh, and I actually have friends who communicate with extraterrestrials or higher dimensional beings or spirit guides. Mm-hmm. And to me, um, to me, everything is real. Every, absolutely everything. Every thought you have is because it exists in some form. It may be distorted mm-hmm. through your own ego. Like I remember hearing an analogy, uh, uh, like an example of it, I guess uh, when I was listening to a Ram Das talk, he talked about like how everything is real. Like Mickey Mouse is real in another dimension. And it was I was like, I get that. And uh, the way I kind of make sense of it is that everything that can happen is happening. So it is possible for a a mouse-like species to evolve to the point of self-awareness and standing upright the same way we went from four-legged creatures to chimpanzees to a conscious being. So in some Mm -hmm. other dimension, there is a mouse that is three feet tall with giant ears And it goes around with a high voice and you know what I mean? But the thing is is that Walt Disney probably had that thought, but it was distorted through his own personal ego. So there might be this vibrational effect coming from the dimension where Mickey Mouse exists. And that waveform goes out into reality and interferes with all kinds of other waves. And then it, it basically hits the mind of Walt Disney and Walt Disney just gets this image of a mouse that talks and he's like, I'm going to draw this. You know what I mean? So like in that reality, if you were to travel there, that little mouse might be entirely different. And it might actually be like uh, a sentient being that is very similar to us, but just in mouse form rather than chimpanzee form. You know what I mean? So all these things are real to me. Um, Higher dimensional beings, uh, extraterrestrials, they all exist. But the way in which we describe them, the way in which we experience them, goes through the filter of our, filters of our own minds. So then it, the less ego you have, the less personal desire, the less personal fear you have, the more in tune you can be with those realms. So that's why the practice of being a medium or being a channeler is all about letting go of yourself because if you let go of yourself and what you want to be true, then you can get the clear message. And then somebody from another star system like the Pleiades, can be like, thank God you've let go of your ego. Now we can actually talk to you because now you're open to receiving these messages, which are literally just like electromagnetic waves, just like how a radio wave is constantly out there. You could get a radio now and tune into something that was broadcasted 30 years ago because that that signal is still bouncing around in the earth. So when we open up our minds, the same thing happens. We are getting signals from the Pleiades constellation that say, you know, we're here for you, we've been watching you, we're here to to usher you into this new awakening. But if you're all about your own ego and you believe like one holy book is the absolute truth more than others, and you believe that the only holy person is Jesus, then when you open yourself up to a higher wisdom, you're only going to communicate with Jesus. You're not going to communicate with extraterrestrials because according to the Bible, that's not a thing. So you're going to get Jesus telling you the truth and it's going to go through your own filter. But if you let go of what you believe, what you desire and what you fear, then your signal is a lot clearer. And that's why when Mm -hmm. people channel, they just like go into a trance, they let go of themselves completely. And then they'll they'll wake and they're like, hello, I'm here to greet you from the Pallades. You know what I mean? Because they just let another frequency take over their vessel completely. And that's what you could say like demons are. Demons are a lower density life form that feed off the fear of people. So if you let, if you believe in your own fear and you don't know the whole truth about yourself, then you might be so fearful that you just want to leave this world and let it all go. So then you'll let yourself leave your own body and then a demonic type of being can possess you and then do your bit, do its bidding. So yeah, all these things are real. They are just different frequencies of ourself. So I don't often communicate with any other dimensional beings because what I realized from my awakening was that everything is an aspect of myself. It's not that it's an aspect of Mike. Mike is just an aspect of my true self. And every like you are an aspect of me, I'm an aspect of you. We are all God. We are all energy. We are all universe. So when I look to that deeper wisdom, I don't I don't require It to take an archetypal form. I don't need an extraterrestrial or a spirit guide or Jesus or Krishna or Buddha. I don't need the wisdom from them because I know they're just me anyways. So it often comes from not even a form. It doesn't come from God as in a man or a woman. It comes from just the, the, the infinite field of information. That's what I perceive myself connecting with is the infinite field of information. But when you believe a certain thing, if you believe in spirit guides, if you don't see yourself as someone who is a divine being, if you don't see yourself as part of the all, then you might need to hear it from a spirit guide. You might need to hear it from an extraterrestrial. So God takes the form of an alien to say, hey, I'm here with you. God takes the form yeah. of a spirit guide to say, hey, I'm here with you. And that's what makes yeah. sense to me. So we, we need everything. We we need every single... Um, it's not that there's an ultimate and God's the truth and then all those beings are fake. Everything's fake and everything's real. It's all the same. So, yeah, some people communicate with other guides because they don't fully—they don't fully see it coming from themselves. So they feel they need some sort of parental figure in order to educate them. Whereas I recognize that that parental figure I'm communicating with is just an aspect of myself. So it doesn't take the form of anybody in particular.
0: Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, perfect. That's um. I've seen my friends like have that pitfall where they sort of cling to some of the traditions, and suddenly it's like, you know, one particular friend is always you know, f- uh, moving from one religious tradition to another. And mm. it's like, now it's this God, now it's this God, now it's like, you know, it's like things are being imposed upon her uh, from these higher realms. Like, yo, know, now you must meditate, now you must fast, now you must do a fast without drinking water. It's like, hang on a minute. Like, you know, that's just another version of yourself. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you realise that, then you won't necessarily have to feel like you have to subscribe to these so-called tasks that you're being told to do.
2: Right, right.
0: But yeah, I see, I see it very much in the way as you've just described. Um, I quite like the uh, the analogy of a, of a tree to describe the universe in that we know that the, a tree is one thing, mm-hmm. but then the human comes along and says, well, no, it's a trunk, it's a branch, it's a twig, there's the bud, there's the leaf. And we have this, uh, this false idea of separation. And mm-hmm. right? so we are all these leaves are effectively, the the one thing experiencing itself through all these multitude of different ways, and so yeah, when you realise that you're the tree, and it's all this one being, sentient organism, and we're just atoms. Once you sort of diminish or remove the constructs that are sort of inhibiting us from realising this tree, so we even say, like, you know, I say that I'm Adam. I say that you know this is a uh, a mobile phone and that's a lamp, and you know when it when it comes down to it, it's like well, there's not actually these things, and like. We have all of these labels that are constantly making us objectify everything around us in terms of the people that we experience. Whereas actually what we're really experiencing is uh, textures, tones, sounds, colours. It's just this montage or this like I'm quite like uh, Hermetic philosophy, like the seven hermetic principles. Uh, you know, the first is mentalism, of which all is mind, the universe is mental. So you effectively understand that everything is this mental phantasmagoria, as they is they use quite an elaborate term. But um, this is basically this dreamlike reality that's become quite a persistent one and that's like what einstein was saying is that all reality is an illusion albeit a persistent one so in this particular density it's third density everything seems fixed and solid and like it's solid or it's like liquid or it's gas but as you ascend the ladder of these dimensional rungs everything becomes a lot more lucid and clear and, and this sort of reveals itself that You've only really ever spoken to yourself. Like, I mean, I'm speaking to myself, like you just said, right now. It's like, mm-hmm. whether we want to call ourselves, uh, Michael or Adam. So you're only you're talking to carbon, calcium, oxygen, hydrogen, <laughs> and nitrogen. Even those things are are just labels. Yeah. Uh, and it really, it goes down to like energy is speaking to energy. So <laughs> <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> you. the allegory of uh, the tree is is quite. I quite like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. There's sort another of mechanism that we've imposed on ourselves where it's almost our language. Is conspiring against us from evolving spiritually and and going in and just uh, we're so fixated with this scientific rationalistic kind of uh, excessively empirical way of just labeling and analyzing. I guess science is you know people call scientists the priests of of this age. It's like people scientists say scientists say that scientists say this. It's like well, let's forget about science for a minute, because That's one route that you want to go down. But this philosophical path is a totally different way of thinking, et cetera. And we've sort of had that subdued by this, by science taking center stage. And that's got its place for sure. But I think that in, in lieu of the philosophical side, you're going to get further and further into this technocracy. You're going to get further into this AI takeover that people are talking about. And people won't realize that they have, these amazing innate faculties. Like the human being is the highest form of technology on the planet, mm. but we are totally unaware of how p- powerful that is. That everything needs to be replaced by technology. So it starts with the holdables, or and then it goes to wearables, and now we're going to start eventually putting this technology into our brains. Or like Elon Musk wants to replace the neocortex eventually with this neural link thing. And it's, it's like we're constantly just replacing, or we they're trying to constantly replace our brain and our, our way of being, this sort of technological transcendence, in lieu of what all, all of these uh, all of these uh, ancient traditions have been talking about. I think that's really what we're trying to help to, uh, people to realise as well. It's like, you know, let's take a look at uh, just simply another way of looking at things. Like this is just Western culture, you're a product of that culture, which has been denied all this ancient wisdom that's been on this planet for thousands of years. Uh, let's try and bring that back to the table. And I think science is actually moving towards that direction. And, and you know, with biocentrism, uh, as we started out with uh, Robert Lanz and stuff, people are starting to realise this. Uh, and it's becoming yeah more uh, about uh, metaphysics, it's becoming mm. more about uh, philosophy. And uh, it's not just this strict scientific dogma that we were taught at school, uh, which has led to effectively this sort of world that we're living in, where it's just incredibly... Um, materialistic very reductionist uh and uh you know people like what's his name dawkins Mm. uh scientists you know like they are spiritually um interred they're they're not spiritually evolved yet they're still Mm -hmm. latching on to the old paradigm the old way of things and of course they they're so vested in that with their books and things that they're not going to suddenly um and I think Joe Rogan was joking with him, like saying, do you, "Do you want to take some mushrooms? Do you want to take some? Uh, do you want to take some?" It would just be really fascinating for me to just see one of these hard-nosed atheists just have like an ayahuasca, or just some kind of crazy spiritual experience, and then the next day they're wearing kind of like a, a robe or white, this dress a guru. It's like one, one minute you're um, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Bill Gates, or just one of these, um, uh, was Alan de Botton, or just one of these. Uh, Hard Stephen Fry, even the hard-nosed atheists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, uh, you're a philosophical uh, guru. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be quite exactly. funny to See that transformation in someone. But, um, yeah, that's essentially what happened to me, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think w- you, you were very much in the, the left brain sort of oriented way. Oh yeah. You yeah,
1: yeah. I um, I never called myself an atheist, but I respected atheism. If I had to label myself back in the day, I would have called myself agnostic. But if someone's like, you know, here's a hundred bucks, place a bet on whether or not there's a God, I'd be like, no, hundred percent of the time I would have bet on no. Um, And because I was very uh, scientifically oriented. I didn't, I never like went to university or anything like that, but everything that I thought it had to be explainable. And I admired people like Dawkins. I thought Dawkins was one of the greatest minds in the world. Uh, And I, you know, I basically lean towards that type of thing. Like there's no proof for God. How can you prove it? You don't know what you're talking about. There's no proof for any of this. And even like, uh, uh, if you're familiar with James Randi, you know him?
0: I've heard of it, but I'm not too familiar with it.
1: He's somebody that basically tries to debunk everything. Like that's his whole thing is he goes around the world and tries to figure out exactly what it is. And I remember watching a TED talk he did where he was talking about how homeopathy was uh, nonsense. And he's like, look, this is a homeopathy pill bottle. And he takes every single pill in the bottle. And he's like, if they worked, I should be dead. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then a couple of years later, I watched the same video, and I was like, oh, he's so lost. He don't understand. He just yeah. don't understand how homeopathy works. He don't understand it's yeah. at a deeper level. So, yeah, yeah. I um, I was very scientifically oriented.
0: Like allopathic. He was expecting it to just have an immediate kind of effect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, that was my mindset for a long time. Um, and honestly, I often tell people it was – Science that brought me to spirituality. It was the scientific method. I just kept asking more and more questions and the answers I was getting was leaning me more and more towards the spiritual side. Not even necessarily the answers are in God or anything like that. It was just that when I would ask myself questions about who I was, like I was telling you earlier about how I asked, like, why do I feel this way? Why do I think that? I asked those questions and then my beliefs and my thoughts fell away. And when I was left with no beliefs and thoughts, that's when my mind and spirit literally opened up and expanded to everything. And I felt a yeah. connection to everything around me. And I was like, I still never use words like God at that point. I still never called it. I still never consider myself spiritual. I was just like, this is just the truth. The truth in science is that we're connected to everything. All is energy. We're all one thing, just vibrating in different patterns. I was like, isn't that clear? Isn't that obvious now? And then later on, I was like, so now that this is what I know, I can kind of see how people would believe in God. I can kind of see how Jesus is a thing. I can kind of see how we can walk on water. You know, if you can alter your state of frequency by changing your thought pattern, you can change the way in which your atoms vibrate. And if you can change the way in which your atoms vibrate, then you can change them to a sense that it is the polar opposite of water and your whole body becomes hydrophobic. And then when you go to stand on the water, you are repelled from it because it has an opposite frequency. And I was like, it's not magic. It's science that is yet to be understood. So everything is science to me still. I think everything can be explained scientifically. But the thing is that I found that is lacking is that science, like you said, tries to separate things and understand their individual characteristics. They want to put it in a box and say, this is this and that is that. But see, the truth is that the energy god, or whatever you want to call it, is this and that. So you can't put a box around it. People often say, I can't wrap my head around infinity. And I was like, there's a reason for that. Is It is infinite. You can't wrap yourself around infinity because then it's no longer infinite. You have to let go of the boundaries. You have let go of the actual wrapping mechanism. You cannot understand God logically. You cannot understand truth logically. You have to understand that it is all that is, all that ever was, and all that ever will be, and it's all one thing existing simultaneously, and there's no way— you can put a box around that because the very notion of putting a box around it negates the infinite source that it is so that's where yeah. science gets lost is that scientists are so set on understanding its origin understanding how it started and understanding yeah. its functionality and its characteristics but when the yeah. answer to that question is there was no beginning there was no origin and the function of it is it just is, then that's not a satisfying answer to... (laughs) Reductionists are not about hearing that type of answer, right? They will just say, that's just a cop-out. There's got to be a way we can explain it. But I often wonder, like, when they get their fundamental particle, that is the smallest thing they know, then the question is obviously going to arise, what builds that fundamental particle? What is that made of? but it's all just energy man it's all just vibrating energy and fields. and like you said science is already understanding that on a deep level they understand Mm -hmm. that quarks are just a vibration of energy in an infinite field they understand that the higgs boson is just a, a vibration of energy in an infinite field like It seems very obvious to me when you have all the scientific information, but your ego, the ego of scientists get in the way and don't allow them to understand the full picture because they want to get a Nobel prize. They want to be, they want to have that big breakthrough. They want to be the next Einstein or the next Feynman or whatever. And in order to do so, they have to find something that nobody's ever found before. So they're not looking to the old because if they look to mysticism, then they're not going to get the credit for having discovered it. So they want to find the new answer. When the new answer is the old answer, and we've known it for billions or thousands or millions of years,
0: I think that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, I think that's the uh, Alan Watts. If you're familiar with Alan Watts, English philosopher, like it's like trying to understand reality um, through science. It's like trying to bite your own teeth. You can't. (laughs) You just, you just can't get at that it's impossible right like, and it's, it's interesting you're saying about it, it basically cements the ego like they're trying to get a platform they're trying to find some sort of solution from that side of their mind yeah. which just can't be done like yeah with the um with the infinity of everything it's uh they're always like pushing back the, the sort of start date. like the universe is 13.8 billion years now it's 14.6 billion and now it's 17 it's like, to stop, stop with the origin of everything. It's like, yeah. and they've got, they've got proof, like everything is, 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 a, is a, there was a beginning and now there's this big bang and everything's getting further and further apart. But there's this guy, uh, David Wilcock, who's mm. done some quite interesting research. I can't remember the name of the book that he's he mentioning, but often they cite red shift as, as proof that everything is expanding and getting further apart. Mm. But there's been like um, studies where they've shown uh, quasars coming out of um, galaxies where you can clearly still see the connection of like a, a new galaxy being born out of a galaxy, mm. and the redshift values are wildly out. And so, if redshift is some sort of calibration of how far something is moving away, etc., then that simply wouldn't make sense for that to be the case because it's literally just that's come out of that. They're still relatively close to one another. So, yeah, I would definitely subscribe to this idea that, like you say, it just is. It's not. It's not going anywhere. There's no agenda. There's no boundary. There's no like there's no beginning, there's no end. There's perhaps there's some cycles in place, but I don't mm. feel like if there's some like X zero Y zero Z zero origin right. through which right. It's just everywhere all at once. You can't step outside of yourself. Mm. You can't just you just can't get out of yourself. Everywhere you go is just there. And it's like all of infinity and everything is right in front of you, but your brain is just filtering it out. And yes. to the point where you can just see that it's like Friday afternoon and like yes. it's yeah. and, uh, it just makes life quite convenient for us because right, all those things are, are useful. Yeah. But yeah, that, that sort of truth is a difficult thing to grapple with for sure when you're just totally sold on the idea of trying to progress your, uh, your career uh, in debunking certain things or just mm-hmm. trying to find an answer to you know, like, is there a God? Like, I suppose my, my, the first thing that I say to people who say, you know there is no God, is firstly to ask them, like, well, what is it? Like, what, what do you think God is? Because how can you say that there isn't a God when you don't even know what it is? Mm. But surely the first thing you want to do is find out, try and find out what it is. But I suppose most mm. people think of a person, and that's where the sort of psyop comes in. Obviously, the idea of a, of a person creating all of this is absurd, but right. it's like when you understand that nature itself is creating all of these forms, weaving all these trees and all these animals and all these organisms, then you, then it takes on a totally different position. It's like oh, yeah, nature and like like I say with the hermetic philosophy, like all is mind. Everything is different uh, vibration conditions of the same thing, which is energy. We have mind and matter. These are just these are it's all just energy in different vibration states. So it's like this big conscious mind like this universal mind is what we call God. But mm. of course, people have come along and said, no, it's a person who's got a beard who lives in the cloud. And mm. people school have that perception, which I guess is why we need to change it from say God to something else. Mm. Uh, it's like, you're never going to get anywhere with these people. But mm. yeah, I mean, like there's this, uh, it's just, uh, it's, I suppose it's quite um, interesting to be around at this time. Cause I think like it's probably gonna be the sharpest change um, in perception and awareness that's perhaps supposedly what I hear from some of these channels. Like so uh, Law of One, have you heard of this one? Mm-hmm. Law <clears throat> of One or um, Bashar? Like some of the, some of the information um, that's coming through this guy called Daryl Anker, He's a he's a channel in um, in LA, um, and uh, they say that you know, like there's a lot of the universe is focused, or a lot of this galaxy, there's, there's a lot of attention on this planet at the moment mm. because the shift that we're going to experience hasn't quite happened like this before, uh, the, the severity of it the this, this pace of it and so they're quite fascinated how it's uh how it's going to all unfold mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps that's some sort of reason as to why we're even here why we've got incarnating as what they call them um, like uh what is it um like extraterrestrial souls or a or a, a traveler uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone that's been incarnating over and, over and over and over here we've come to the earth at this time simply to have this um, outside perspective so that we can share it ultimately and help other people to see this this perspective that would otherwise perhaps not have been open to it. So, yeah, I don't know, there's, just, there's so many um, amazing things that are probably happening and at the same time. Frozen. Damn. Can you, can you still hear this? Or you
1: can I can hear it? you now. You're back now. Uh, your, your, your visual is frozen though.
0: Okay. Well, the, the oh. vi- yeah, the video is frozen now. But um, Yeah. It depends on how, how far do you want to go? I think we have hit the three, three hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, like um, can you can you
1: not hear? I can hear you. You're frozen, but you're a little choppy as well.
0: Oh really? Okay, mm. cool. Um, so yeah, we can we can leave it uh, wherever you want, basically. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, we could just go on for for hours and hours. I imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. About stuff because it's like it's like I said before, it's it's difficult to um, difficult to find people uh, that are on the same similar wavelengths, similar people that are going on on this sort of journey, and. Mm. Uh, it's often you have to sort of live an inauthentic life if you want to stay in touch with some of the people around me because it's like you have to just put that aside and you have to talk about what you're doing for money and talk about mm-hmm. like uh, how are you just getting by or of it all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's been nice connecting with you because it's a it's just a nice reflection of uh, similar journeys. I think.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So the only thing I was thinking, like, I re- I recognized we were approaching the the three hour mark. And the reason why I cut it at three hours is because my recording program that I put this through, it won't handle a file bigger than roughly three hours. But yeah. that being said, I I would really like to spend at least a little bit of time. We could even make it a part two. If we go for like another half an hour or 45 minutes, I could chop them up into two parts. And because mm-hmm. uh, I just like, we never really spoke anything about what it is you do and some of the ideas you have about creating the new world, because That's one thing I would really like to dive into a little bit and see what kind of ideas you have.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, i will be well up for doing that. Um, Sure, if you want to do that now, if you want to do that uh, at any point in the future, um, just let me know. But I mean, I'll be free for another half an hour if you like. like,
2: Yeah, sure.
1: Let's keep it going. So just to, you're kind of coming back a little bit and your video is a little bit better, but let's
2: let's just reset it again just so it's nice and clear for the next 20 or 30 minutes that we go. Yeah, cool. Sounds good.